planet know what it is to be truly despised. Can you blame them? I earn a living fronting an organization that kills 1,200 human beings a day. 1,200 people. We're talking two jumbo jet plane loads of men, women, and children. I mean, there's Attila, Genghis, and me, Nick Naylor, the face of cigarettes, the Colonel Sanders of nicotine. This is where I work. The Academy of Tobacco Studies. It was established by seven gentlemen you may recognize from C-SPAN. These guys realized quick if they were going to claim that cigarettes were not addictive, they better have proof. This is the man they rely on. Earnhardt von Gruppen Mundt. They found him in Germany. I won't go into the details. He's been testing the link between nicotine and lung cancer for 30 years and hasn't found any conclusive results. The man's a genius. He can disprove gravity. Then we've got our sharks. We draft them out of Ivy League law schools and give them timeshares and sports cars. It's just like a John Grisham novel. You know, without all the espionage. Most importantly, we've got spin control. That's where I come in. I get paid to talk. I don't have an MD or law degree. I have a bachelor's in kicking ass and taking names. You know that guy who can pick up any girl? I'm him on crack. Fifteen seconds after the hour of eleven, and this the month of February in the year of our Lord two thousand and nine. Thank you for coming along, making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM nine seventy. The talker, this, my friends, is the Rick Emerson Radio Program, an excursion into amusements and whimsicality. Uh, it is Thursday, and welcome to day twelve. Thank you for coming along. It's five zero three seven three three. 2970 503 733 2 
970-503-7332970 for your comments, questions, clarifications, kvetches, ruminations, ponderings, musings of an ironic nature, whatever it is uh, that you have. 503-733-2970. You can also email it if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am or Richie with a T at 970.am. All right, I'll get to... I'll get to some important stuff here uh, right away, right at the top of the show. We're going to be giving away tickets, not today, but in the very near future, we're going to be giving away tickets to see Anthony Bourdain live at the Keller. Keller, uh, which is pretty much the best thing ever. But here's the other thing. I do believe it's going on later on today. So if you're a glorious bastard, you will be receiving this. But there's going to be a pre-sale. I hope I can be saying all this. So this is one of those things where I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to get something that, like, there's there's an embargo. Whereas, like, I say it, and then suddenly I get some sort of a, uh, you know, I get some sort of a, like, a panicked phone call from somebody telling me that I wasn't supposed to give this information out. So that's their boggle. Um, but the pre-sale for Anthony Bourdain tickets, I do believe, is tomorrow at 10 a.m. Could be Saturday, but I think it's tomorrow. Anyway, we're going to be sending out uh, an email to the Glorious Bastards giving you the link and the password to pre-sale tickets uh, for Anthony Bourdain. So if you are a glorious bastard, you're beginning that. If, if you're not, I mean, first of all, you're flawed in, in many deep ways that I probably can't fix myself. But also, uh, you could be signing up right now. That's at 970.am. 970.am. You sign up for that, you'll get a little email telling you how to get Anthony Bourdain tickets uh, before anybody else can. And then we're also going to be giving them away. But you don't want to wait for that. You probably just want to want to get them. Because so, he's Anthony Bourdain. All right. Uh, let's see what else. Today we will be giving away more Watchmen passes. The special screening is coming up Monday. Monday, Monday, Monday night. It's not like a, it's not one of those things that's open to the public. It's not one of those things where they give away 7,000 tickets and then you get to stand in line like an idiot for like nine days to try to get in. Uh, it is not over-ticketed, over-booked, over-sold, over-anything. Monday is a special uh, critics screening of the Watchmen. You could be the, the Watchmen. If you're one of those kids who's on the drugs... Uh, it, By the way, I, I'm almost done with it. It's uh, it's pretty great. It is. I lost two hours yesterday. I, I was just planning on just reading for like a half an hour. So all of a sudden, I look up from my book and it's 5:30. I'm like, oh my god, I've got to, you know, I have so many things to do. You know, you lost two hours of your life, but you gained two hours of cultural literacy and my entertainment, god. Sarah. That it just keeps getting better and better. Like I'm, I'm almost want to like drag it out because I don't I, want it to end. Totally. Now that's. I felt actually the same way, and I and I read, um, I read Watchmen for the first time. Um, I don't know, it was actually just a couple of years ago that I read it because I just, you know, because I'm, you know, I'm a comics fan and a certain, you know, I'm a fan of a certain niche of comics, especially when I was younger. Um, and then I kind of discovered Mad Magazine, and Mad Magazine was the place that I devoted most of my energy. And then from Mad Magazine, I worked backward. You know, it's like sometimes if you discover a band and then you work backward from the band, so you, like, you discover... Whatever, you discover Wolf Mother, and then that leads you to Led Zeppelin, which leads you to the Rolling Stones, which leads you to Chuck Berry, which leads you to, like, you know, Muddy Waters or Robert Johnson or something. And so it was with me, because from Mad Magazine, I worked backward to the golden age of comics to, like, the EC stuff, like Vault of Horror and uh, Tales from the Crypt and Shock Suspense Stories, and then from that, you know, back to whatever. Anyway, Watchmen's a really, it's, it's a pretty exceptional book. And the critic screening on Monday is going to be fantastic. So we are giving away tickets to that today, today, and then tomorrow. Tomorrow we're going to be doing something uh, sort of special. Now, have you seen that Watchmen logo, which is, you know, it's the smiley face button with the big blood stain on it? If you've ever seen the Watchmen logo, which is pretty iconic, and I think it was iconic the minute the book came out in 86 or whatever, 
tomorrow. This is not today. This is tomorrow, Friday. Tomorrow at 970.am, at some point during the show. I don't say when. But at some point during the show tomorrow, that smiley face uh, button with the bloodstain on it will appear somewhere on the 970.am website. It'll appear somewhere on the website tomorrow. I'm not going to say when. I'm not going to say where. It'll be sometime during tomorrow's show. We'll announce it when it happens. I'm going to tell you now when it's going to be. When you see that smiley face logo on the station website tomorrow, the first 25 people who find it, click on it, uh, you'll score yourself a pair of passes. But then it's going to go. Then it's going to vanish. So that is tomorrow. So be watching for the Watchmen. Uh, That's tomorrow, Friday. Today, however... Uh, we'll be giving away some passes here on the program. So anyway, that's all. Uh, that's all coming up. It's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. What else? Uh, today we'll be doing our lost in four zero three nine four eight four zero eight. Did you ever change the bed, or is it still the same? It's the same. I couldn't. I mean, I changed the bed, but I, I didn't change the name of it in the file. Mm-hmm. I didn't change the file name, so I can't remember what it's called because it said originally lost in ninety, and now it's longer. But I never bothered to rename it, so I can't remember what it actually is. Four zero eight. Lost in 408 with Chris Paddock and Sarah Dillon coming up here in just a few minutes. And we actually we'll watched it together episode. last night. Really? Mm-hmm. And so did you sit there and giddy each other into a nerd frenzy? I felt bad because, like, three of my friends were there, and my friend Jessica, who's not very into it, and she kept, like, talking and thinking I wanted to murder her yeah. sometimes. Just like, embarrassing friend syndrome. No, 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 she wasn't embarrassing. She just didn't understand how dorky we are about it. And she was in the kitchen going, so, uh, do you guys want some no, wine? Like, and so this, you know, this one time, I'm like, oh my god. Yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna snap. Something exciting is happening. And, and, she- then, and then that's when you question yourself, because I'm like, I am getting way too worked up about this. Oh. What is wrong with me? <clears throat> Trust me, I totally, I know what you're talking about. I really do. I have, I have that response to, I mean, Lara doesn't do this, and you know, I don't do this to her, because we've been together long enough that I know what she needs to watch, and she knows, you know, what I need to watch it just to be left alone. But I've totally done that thing. I mean, and it was even worse in the pre-TiVo era where you would answer the phone and there was no pausing. I mean, if you're watching something live, you're watching it live. There was no way to, like, you could stop a program. Mm. And somebody calls and you're waiting to find out who shot JR. And it is, so anyway, do you want to get lunch tomorrow? And you're like, look, I don't mean to be rude, but I, uh, you have to get off the phone right now. So, anyway, so we'll talk about Lost uh, here in just a few moments. Lisa Desjardins will be joining us today uh, from the Hill. Uh, we'll also talk to CNN Radio correspondent James Roop in Los Angeles and CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. Plus, I do believe Ed McCarthy. Wait, or is that in, instead of Jim Roop? Instead of Jim Roop. All right. So we got Ed McCarthy about our good friend Rob Lagojevich. That's coming up at uh, 2 o'clock. David Walker will be here later on today. He'll be bringing you news and amusements of all varieties. Uh, let's see. Geek Watch coming up today. Teacher Watch coming up today. Uh, and and a couple uh, uh, other uh, fantastic stories up in the pile that don't really fit in anywhere else. Plus, we'll announce today's glorious bastard of the week, and we'll be giving away another uh, gadget package from uh, uh, from the uh, Body of Lies uh, giveaway. That's with like the uh, that's like the door alarm and like the secret camera digital recorder thing and like the thing that goes in your computer and it looks like a drive, but it's really like a credit card holder. It's all very exciting. So that's coming up today, and a whole pile of other things. It's five zero three seven three three. Two nine seventy five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. We're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon. Hello, how are you today? Um, I'm good. I'm a little. You sound way better. <laughs> I'm feeling a little better. I woke up. I think. I think things are starting to. You're coughing more though. Yeah, I think everything's kind of loosening up. Oh, I see. It's gross. Is this moving from Mr. Lung to Mr. Throat to Mr. On a Tissue? Yeah, and I yeah. Was... Oh, it was... is it more of a nose thing or a mouth thing? I mean, let me At this test. point, it's more of a chest thing. Is it? But I mean, is it? I don't. 
We're talking about the P word. This is phlegm. Is the phlegm... I'm just... I'm is it a sneezing or is it a coughing? It's, I don't like want to gross everybody out. You know what? It's not the news hour. We gotta get, you know, we'll get it taken care of now. Well, that, I'll, I'll be happy knowing that I'm grossing Richie out right now. His face. Is this a thing where you're... Mr. Cauliflower Ears is giving me that look. Is the phlegm... Is this a deal where you're coughing it up or sneezing it out? Coughing. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's no good. But also, I think it's the fact I haven't, you know, while I'm sick, I don't smoke, so I haven't smoked in like three days. That's no good. So, um, So I can't tell if it's like... Because of the smoking or because of the... Mama's not getting her vitamins. No, but... It's if you just... don't smoke, do you get a phlegm? Mm-hmm. What's that about? I don't know. I think your lungs start to become healthier, so it, like you just start coughing up all that. Well, you know, the other thing about that is I think smoking actually acts... I think when you have nicotine, nicotine is like, you know, it's a stimulant. And everybody thinks that smoking calms you down, which it does. But that's because it's a stimulant, which I think focuses you a little bit, mm-hmm. like a cup of coffee. And I do believe that smoking... Because nicotine is a stimulant, I think it clears your lungs. It is an expectorant, or no, not a word like it's a word like that. It's a it's a something, but it clears your lungs. And so I think when you don't have stimulants, <coughs> pardon me, like nicotine, I think then you get your phlegm on, and then it just uh, and and then it can only sit there for a while before your body goes, well, this can't just this can't just stay here. We got to get rid of this. It's well, like so- when it's like when somebody, you know what it is? It's like a. It's like when you have something sitting in the living room for a while because you brought it home one day, but you were really tired and you didn't want to unpack it, so you just left it by the coffee table. And then eventually you go, well, this can't just stay in the living room forever. Let's find space in the basement for it. And you move it down to the basement. The phlegm is the thing. The lungs are the living room. And then the basement is (laughs) right out. So let me ask you this. Yeah, it's like, and I don't know what the healthy... Like, you know how they say, like, mucus, maybe, like, you know, one color it's supposed to be healthy and, like, something else is... Another one means that you've got Ebola. Yeah, so I'm not really sure exactly if it's good or bad. Is this? It's like the. It's like Tom Ridge's have... terrorism threat level uh, indicator. So if your if your mucus is orange, then that means that you are about to be attacked by it's something. It's really gross. I've never seen like I've I'm not usually grossed out by things about my body, but like I was coughing. I coughed this morning, and um, spit into the sink, and it was disgusting. <laughs> it was so gross. Sexy. Um, sorry, you know what? Me, can I, I guess the color? I'm guessing. Oh, uh, I don't know if I should say. I'm guessing. Let's see. Uh, Color of Sarah Dillon's mucus. I'm guessing. Pink. It's not. No, because that. Oh, that's just. I don't think so you know what gross. mucus is. I think you're confusing it with something else. <laughs> and by the way, if your if your mucus is any is any shade of red, I think that that uh, that means that you've. Uh, I think it means you've you've got that Marburg uh, virus going on, and that just uh, the, the only word for that is liquefaction. Nobody wants that. I'm guessing. Yellow with a little green. No. I'm guessing that was really the only guess I had. And so here's the other thing. As we get ready to guess, in fact, the color of a bodily substance that is coming out of Sarah Dillon, (laughs) I realize realize that I don't even really know what the right answer is. Like, I don't know what it's supposed to be. And you say clear, but I don't think your mucus is ever clear. It is. I think that's supposed to be when you're healthy. Clear, really? Like, like, Like you can see through it clear? I think so. Because wouldn't that just make it, like, water? Isn't that just saliva then? Hey, can I tell you this, too? Here's a weird uh, thing, and I don't mean to be dwelling on mucus. And then we'll have Chris Paddock join us here in one moment. But And then Doug gets to reveal the color. Yes, yes, you do. So we can quit talking about it. Even though I'm fascinated by it, I realize it's a thing that probably there's... There's probably limited... Uh, there's limited content to be gleaned from this before it just becomes so unbelievably, irrevocably off-putting that it's, uh, you know, it will lead to our, our ruin. But... This sounds a little daft. I don't know what mucus is made out of. 
I don't think I want to know. This is like yesterday. Honestly, when I don't want to know. <laughs> but, but like we invest like, Google it on your own time. That is so gross. But, I don't want to know what's coming out. But you remember like yesterday we couldn't figure out what vinegar was made of, and then it turns out that we're retards and everybody on earth knew that it was wine except for us, because we're like, what's what's vinegar made of? I mean, it's made of water and because in my head everything is made of water and something else. It's like that day I couldn't figure out what cheese was made of. Like I know it's milk, mm. but what makes but what makes like Gouda cheese as opposed to Munster cheese? Like, what's, what's the difference? And somebody said, well, they grind up spices and powders and put them in, which I guess is obvious in retrospect. So mucus is made of water and what? Like, what's the thing that makes it that and not spit? What is the what is the difference between... Oh, no! On a scale of one oh to five... Oh, my God, this is so gross. I'm not going to... If you keep talking about this, I'm not going to tell you what color it was. <laughs> you cut me to the quick, Sarah Dillon. Let's welcome now to the Rick Everson Show from Rock 101, KUFO and Jammin 107.5. Chris Paddock. Hello, Thank sir. you. I want to take a guess, and I'm going to say it's a grayish green. No. Oh. I think that okay. means that's that you're kind of a like zombie. the Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, they're coming to get you, uh, Barbara. Yes, exactly. All right. Exactly. All right. Go ahead and tell us uh, what color was Sarah Dillon's mucus. Bright green. Oh! <laughs> and she just held up a Perrier bottle oh. to make her point. Is it? Yes. Yeah. Is it? Scares is me. Is it kind of like it, you feel like you could uh, wallpaper with it? Is it really? Is it, it wasn't like very so revolting. You were That's really infected. So you're basically hacking up kryptonite. Yeah, you need to you need to get checked out. <gasps> oh my God! OMG! What? You're hacking up Ublek. Ublek. What? 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 Look over there. Uh, Ublek. You know what? Ublek. Do you not know what Ublek is? What? No. I don't know. Oh, I'm sad for what? all of you and for all humanity. All right, we'll talk about it in a minute. Don't worry about it. Okay. Right. No, but it was only a few times. That was like right when I woke up, and now. I think bright green is good. I think yellow is bad. Isn't that what they say? Yellow is bad, too. I mean, I think... Well, it's on the color spectrum. Aaron just wrote me and said green means you're sick. Well, I know I'm sick, Then what does yellow mean? I don't know. It means you're really sick. Because you're hella sick. <laughs> I right. did ride my bike today, and I feel I'm, I'm feeling good. Well, so let's see, but you know what? But I do think, and then we'll wrap this up by saying I think that that is probably good though, because rather than right? just sitting in your yeah, you don't want it sitting in your lungs. It means your body's getting rid of it. Honestly though, like it was so gross. It's yeah. like you look at it, it's like that was in me, and then it makes you almost want to confirm. Did you do the Vicks Vapo Rub with the towel like I instructed no, you? No, no, because okay. I didn't have any Vicks. Oh, and a lot of garlic. Yeah, I bought some That's really Dayquil, though, so I'm okay. Well, all right, go to the hard stuff. Right. <laughs> I was just trying to go natural, although VIX is not a natural. VIX is natural, uh, Vicks natural. petroleum. <laughs> all right, let me get my uh, lost bed uh, ready here. How are you, Chris? A very exciting evening last night with Sarah X. Dylan. We uh, watched Lost together at her friend Lisa's. We did. Really cool. And Paddock brought over chips and two candy bars. Yes, yeah, so I brought a candy. I didn't know. Uh, I knew there were kids there, but I didn't know how old. No, I got the uh, a Yorkie, which is a, an English candy from Cadbury, and a Lion Bar, which is an English uh, candy bar from Nestle. You know what I'm a fan of? Uh, well, A, Zagnut. Also, uh, Chico Stick. Ooh. And then they make that thing, the Zero Bar. You've read the oh, yes. Zero? Zero Bar is like a weird chocolatey nougat thing, but mm-hmm. it's white chocolate. Mm. Nougat-y. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Delicious. Are, yeah, and a bottle of wine. Are we prepared for a Lost in 408? <laughs> I believe I, so. I think we're going to do this. Yes, All I'm right. feeling it. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I give you Chris Paddock and Sarah X. Dillon. It's Lost in 408 on The Rick Emerson Show. Oh, wait. Hold on. There we go.
All right, so the show opens up with an amazing reveal, very much like Darth Maul in uh, the first uh, Star Wars prequel. He's got, like, the hood and everything, and he looks like a, a Jedi, and they revealed it's John Law. I know, because you can't really tell, but I thought it was going to be Widmore for some reason. No, he's risen from the dead. I know. Well, it's because the island, you know, it heals his legs the first time, then he goes back to the real world, and all of a sudden he's dead, and then he comes back to the island, and he's alive again. Yeah. How? Well, I mean, it, how crazy was it that we got to see kind of the, the, the what happened, though, after he... Uh, turned the, the giant frozen donkey wheel, and he ends up in Tunisia, which apparently is like in John Malkovich, like, you know, it was the New Jersey Turnpike. That's the dumping ground that totally you, from is. when you're in the island. And you end has, up in Tunisia. Yeah, and Widmore has that whole, like, camera system set up so he can tell whenever anyone has come from the island because that's the vacating point. Well, he, was, he figured it out, too, because Ben... Uh, showed up, uh-huh. and see now that now he's tracking everything because he wants to make sure he's intercepting anybody else who gets off the island so he can somehow recruit them, which is what he did with Locke. But then again, you and I were talking last night, and like, do, we don't know now. Like, Widmore was talking to him, and he was talking uh, to Locke, and he's like, "Have I ever tried to kill you? Ben has tried to kill you." Mm-hmm. He's like, Am I? "So now it's kind of this weird thing of like, who's the bad guy? Is it Ben? Is it Widmore? Are they both bad? Are they both good?" But isn't it funny? You always notice about Locke. He's like, you said he has like the worst life ever. He ends up being a pawn in everybody's. Con games. Mm-hmm. If you you know you recall some of his flashbacks. Oh yeah, his, his, his dad stole his kid, kidney and then threw him out a window and he became paralyzed. Uh, he worked on that pot farm. He ended up getting the DEA mistakenly. Uh, you know, remember when they, when they mm-hmm. had the pot farm and yeah, he screwed that whole operation up? Is, is now dead. Yeah, she well. died of a brain aneurysm. So he's got like a lot of hard luck. I'm starting to wonder though if maybe these people are trying to control Locke to uh, manipulate, you know, him into doing their bidding if you will. Like, he's just a pawn in a very long, long con game. Well, it seems like they all want, like, he seems like the the biggest player in it because they all want to get him back to the island. It seems most important. And why is the island healing him every time? Like, for example, giving him back his ability to walk and then you know, bringing him back to life. What if he's Jacob and he's the J- he's the dude in the cabin? He could be. He might be. Well, okay, so we're limited, so we should, like, yes, speed through the episode, so... He sees everybody. He sees all the OCNX6. We get to kind of get a little quick update, like he's trying to get the Super Friends and the band back together. And everyone says no. Yeah, everyone says no. Jack is starting to grow the beard, getting kind of wacky. We see... We cut to, after all this has happened, we saw Walt. Uh Uh-huh. Walt's all grown up. But we uh, go to this uh, dingy hotel, motel thing that uh, Locke is in. He's writing his suicide letter. He's about to hang himself. And the letter that we see in the, yeah, in the last episode yeah. that he writes. The Jack suicide letter is, Jack, I wish you believed. Mm-hmm. I also think he should have wrote, I wish that you were a better actor. Because yeah. Matthew Fox kind of sucked Fox in this episode like last night. Really bad. Yeah. Uh, but we digress. So he tries hanging himself with this extension cord, which did you notice when we talked about this? The bag yeah. from the hardware store, I think it said hangers. The bag that he bought the extension cord with to, to which kill himself said hangers on it. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, anyway, he's about to hang himself. Then Ben shows up. Ben shows up, tries to stop him. He untied, you know, with him untying the thing. Like, you think he's going to try and save him? Then what the hell? Why do you think that Ben uh, eventually well, killed him? Uh, Locke revealed that uh, Jin was still alive. Mm-hmm. And he uh, revealed where Mrs. Whitmore was? Exactly. Uh, uh, no, the, uh, uh, Hawking. Uh, yeah, Hawking, Hawking. Uh, uh, Faraday's mom. So now, all of a sudden, Ben has this vested interest in it. I think now we're realizing maybe Ben is really just an awful person. Maybe he's awful. Totally. Or maybe uh, Locke had told him that Richard said that he needed to die in order to save the island. So maybe Ben knew, you know, that Locke wasn't going to do it, so he had to kill him himself. Oh. So, okay, maybe Ben was doing him a solid. Maybe. Maybe he knew. But then at the end, he saw, he saw Ben, and he said, that's the man who killed me. Wow. That was a good sentence to end on, though. Look at that. It's all a cliffhanger. Right. Well, well done. Actually. too. Yeah. All right. Actually. Do you feel like you got everything taken care of? I tell you, every time I do this segment, I am energized. I'm like <laughs> jacked up. 
The music kind of freaks me out. I mean, like, I I'm not even watching. Music, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I don't even watch Lost uh, right now, but that music kind of it, it, my my pulse starts to you know my my uh, energy level gets higher and Do higher. Do you higher get higher nervous about us? It does. It no, the music builds anxiety. That's dread-inducing music, okay. especially because oh, totally I think the tempo slightly increases as the song yes, goes on. Yes, it does, on, actually. So. Wow. Right. Very intense. We, Thank you for the opportunity. We covered all the lost bases here. Uh, I feel I pretty good about it. I think we do. I mean, I, next time, though, I'm going to try not to drink a whole bottle of wine while I watch it. That was pretty rough. <laughs> and then took, uh, yeah, and then Heather and I took Chris Pettick out to one of our favorite watering holes. Did you? After the <laughs> whole bottle of wine? Had, yeah, yeah, I just had not enough. had enough. <laughs> And then, then I watched like a, an interesting phenomenon that Sarah Dillon has. She has this very, she's like a, 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 a beacon. Dudes of all kinds just gravitate to her. Like uh, like moths to your uh, to like your flame. Like moths to flame, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, really kind of hey, nice. Hey, real quickly, speaking of J.J. Abrams, uh, so what is the deal? What is the, the release date on the Star Trek film? I Do we know? Have they May moved it again? Fourth or fifth? No, it's like a Friday. It's like the first Friday in uh, May. Of this year? Yes. All right, okay. Ooh. It's happening. It doesn't really seem like the, like, the, like the buzz and the hype is really ramped up, which I would well, think it would. Well, I think Watchmen kind of has the focus at the, the moment. On it. That's and true. Not is Watchmen is the Watchmen, by the way. The Watchmen. It's Watchmen. Is it Watchmen or The Watchmen? It's Watchmen. That's what I thought. Okay. It was one I of those things. I said that to, I think it was a few weeks ago that I said the Watchmen for the first time. Oh, what with the Watchmen? And then I stopped. And in my head, I could just hear my grandfather, you know, <laughs> and what with the onion. I like what that onion the belt. Yeah. And I'll tell you, we saw the preview. The, the spot came up last night, and we immediately turned our heads away. We did not want to watch. I want to know anything. No, I don't want, I want to go in spoiler-free if it possible, at all possible. Me too. I'm like, I, 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 read the, you know, I read the comics, so I know what's going to happen. But yeah. still, I don't want to see it. All right, don't tell me anything. I won't. All right. Uh, all right, Chris Paddock, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, sir. Word up. Thank you. Four away. All right, we'll take a break here. Back after this with CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins, uh, Lisa Desjardins. Later on, David Walker and more. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Stay right there. It's just understood that you don't steal somebody's highlighter. <laughs> no, I found the yellow one for him. It's like highlighter, post-it notes. These things are I think left you alone. and I are just freakish about highlighters. Uh, I, I don't think so. I don't think we are. I think if you were to canvas people and you ask them which office, we've talked about which office supply is the most valuable, but I think if you were also to discuss which office supplies need to be, re- and I'm not talking about a stapler, because you've got to return that, because that's an actual piece of equipment. But I'm saying something small, you've got to return a highlighter, you've got to return post-it notes. Because, they're the, because here's the thing about the highlighter, unlike, say, a stapler, because you could, like, if you don't have a stapler, you can paperclip. If you don't have paperclips, you can use the little clamps, whatever those things are called. Uh, not butterfly clamps. You know what I'm talking about, where there's like the little, the little silver tabs that you turn backward and then it... What the hell are those clamps called? Like clips? But you, you know what I'm talking about? It's, it's a clip. Like the black ones and then you... The black and then you the flip the things down. back. But what are those even called? Maybe they're just like paper... Well, no, they're not. Anyway, so if you don't have a stapler, you can use paperclip. If you don't have a paperclip, you can use the clamp. If you don't have a highlighter, you are screwed. There's nothing you can do. I mean, I guess you could circle... Uh, but that is just not the same. So it's understand the same with post-it notes. If you don't have post-it notes, there's really nothing you can do except like taping a note to the front of something, and that doesn't work because then it tears when you take it back off. So I believe that because those are the most irreplaceable in terms of function, it's known that one you know one must uh, put that back where one got it. All right, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from the Hill. CNN radio correspondent to the stars, Lisa Desjardins. Hello there. How are you today? Hey, they're binder clips. Binder clips. All right. I think, but you know, I don't know if anyone ever say, hey, I could use a binder clip. I, I don't think it comes up a lot. No, and I, here's the thing about those binder clips. I don't like them. They make me sort of, I, I, and it's not just that I'm indifferent to them. I sort of dislike them for some reason. Really? I find them inc- very useful. I don't know why it is. I, they sort of bug me. And here's why. I guess it's because I associate those binder clips with 
a desk full of nothing else that I actually can use. Uh, for example, every time in my life I have ever moved from one office to another, one desk to another, it's like you, do you ever do this? Uh, when you move to a new desk, new office, you open the desk to see what was there from the person before you, and it's always the same thing. You'll open up that drawer that's right underneath, you know, like where you sit, right above like where your legs would go, and you open that, and it's always a bunch of pennies, and like two rubber bands, and like one of those plasticky things that you, that you use to label like a hanging file folder, but there's no actual label, like there's no paper inside of it. It's just the little clear plastic shell uh, of the file label. And then like one of those big binder clips, but it's not even the tiny kind that you can use for office documents. It's the huge kind. Huge mega, yeah, I'm with you on the big, gigantic ones that are like for a book. Yeah, like that, that's my thing. Is like, What is the purpose of those massive binder clips in a regular American office? Right. Like if you work at, you know, if you work at uh, Signet Publishing, okay, fine, yes. If you're, <laughs> you know, but I mean, or, you know, if you're working at Roswell and you need to be putting together a bunch of alien documents to go into some sort of massive file so Brent Spiner can read it later, that's okay. But I mean, otherwise, it's just more clip than you really need. It's more fastening than you than is really called for. That's true. That's true. All right. What is your most? Uh, let me ask you this. What is your favorite office supply to go shopping for? Wow, highlighters are really high on the list. I got to admit, I like that. I do. I do actually like having a good tape measure in my office. A tape measure, not like a ruler, but a tape measure. No, I actually do. I, it comes in much. It comes more in handy than you would ever believe. I'm constantly being asked by CNN, "Hey, can you how?" big of a space as this, or can you fit a computer here? And well, I mean, it would almost have to be more handy than I believe, because I don't believe it to be handy at all. So. I'm telling you, it's handy. Believe it when is the last time you used a tape measure? Um, I think Monday. Monday I used a tape measure. What were you measuring? I was measuring the space um, underneath my desk to see if a, a new computer could go in there. That's interesting. I never really thought about that. I, yeah, I've got my tape measure right here. I don't know if it's a good... There's my tape measure. <laughs> that sound is fantastic because that's universally known to be the tape measure sound. And I like the fact that, by the way, you don't just have it, you have it handy. I mean, it was right there next to you. You had it like in a holster or something. It's right. It's in my drawer. It's in the drawer that usually has things that aren't handy, but I, I keep my handy tape measure right there. Let me ask you this. When you move from one desk to another, let's say you're going to move all your crap, or you move from one office to another, and it's too much trouble to move the desk, so you just take all your stuff with you. Right. Do you agonize if the desk you move to is slightly different in terms of drawer configuration and availability. Do you agonize over what goes in what drawer and how to sort all the things? I do. I do. I do. Up to a point. There's a point then when I just, after a while, I'm just kind of like, oh, forget it. I'm just, I'm done. But for the first, let's say, a couple of days, it is definitely like, okay, all right, what am I doing? And then you got to figure out, and I got, you know, and of course, because, uh, you know, I got a few things, and I think everybody does, things that are not really for business, you know, there's sort of personal items by which I mean, like, I got a lint roller. And it's a whole thing of, like, where do you put the lint roller? Especially because the lint roller, you can't put it in a drawer with anything that's papery because then it's all going to get stuck together, right? That's right. So you've got to find a place to put the lint roller where it's going to be accessible. It's going to be with other appropriate items. Like, it can't be with, uh, you know, it can't be with your headphones. That just doesn't make any sense. It's got to be with, like, maybe other small toiletry items. But then it's like, well, where are you going to put the small toiletry items? And it's just, and then I sit and I just, uh, and then occasionally I just begin to weep to myself and I have to leave and go find a happy place for a while. You know, on the other hand, I also enjoy sometimes taking over when you get a desk from, you know, the person, the previous inhabitant and kind of seeing how they, how they lived is always amazing. Like John Bisney, who had this desk before me. Bisney. He, he left some crazy amounts of condiments and salt and pe little the little teeny tiny salt and pepper shakers these are all from like fast food or upscale yeah, fast he food he was all over that and i mean it was just, and the 
the drawer was piled. There were some cassette tapes in the back, and one of the cassettes was named Poindexter. I mean, it's like really old school tapes from when he was up there, and it was very, it was pretty cool to go through. I, John Disney, that's a blast from the past. What's I, that guy doing these days? Do you I know? I thought it was time. Uh, he was with the American Petroleum Institute for a while, and then he moved to another nonprofit. I, I can't exactly remember what they do. I, I want to say it had something to do with mortgages, but I'm not Interesting. sure. I haven't thought about that guy in a long time. Or, uh, or, a, uh, or uh, textiles. I don't remember. Some textiles. Yeah, uh, I don't remember. Hey, just as a side note here, uh, when I got my, uh, not my current desk, but the desk, uh, I just moved downstairs uh, to the bottom floor where the studios are when oh, you were here. Oh, wow. um, down there. I used to be upstairs. You remember my office upstairs? When I moved into that office I won't say who had the office uh, before me. Anybody who works in the building knows. But when I moved into that office, I, yeah, exactly. Sorry. I opened the drawer, uh, the, the you know, that main drawer, and it was just full of pills. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, the weird unlabeled kind. And it was the pills that are in the blister packs, you know, the foil, and then you push them through the back. But <laughs> like labeled. Totally unlabeled, and it like didn't even have it didn't even have like you know sometimes in those blister packs it'll have like the actual the name of the chemical like not right. the brand name but it'll right. say like dextromethorphan or whatever and then you look it up to see what the hell that is it was just a bunch of unlabeled pills of whatever variety and I thought about just putting them we have this whole thing in you know at the station where if, if there's food that you're not going to eat or leftover food or there's too much food you put it in the kitchen. And then it'll just miraculously be gone the next time you come back down because the weekenders and part-timers will have come out of the woodwork to eat it. <laughs> I thought about just putting the pills on the kitchen table and seeing if they were gone when I came back. And then I thought, nah, it seems like it's it seems like it's going to end badly somehow. So yeah, well, right. uh, I don't know. Uh, hey, um, so here's a question. So yeah. there's so the budget that comes out yeah. today. They say it's the budget plan. So I don't know if that's actually the same as the budget. But it's not. It's not good eye, good eye, evil eye, right there. So what is the budget plan and what is it? I mean, I don't know. I, I, then I have to ask the obligatory question. And when are uh, Mr. and Mrs. Main Street going to start seeing the impact of the Barack Obama administration's financial decisions? Mr. and Mrs. Schmedlap. Uh, yes. The budget plan is an outline of what the president wants Congress to spend money on. And essentially, it's about 140 pages. And it, a new president often does this, just does an outline because they, you know, they haven't been in office all that long. And then he'll present his full budget proposal in April. But by that point, Congress will already be holding committee hearings and starting to put the, the real budget together. So they give Congress this outline that shows generally where they want to spend money. This is like a treatment that you give to a publisher that's, that's two exactly pages long. What it is. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. All right. And, and so now we have a good idea of where President Obama wants to spend money and how he wants to deal with uh, any number of ginormous problems facing this country and the federal budget. And and it's interesting. I mean, he, he is he is proposing to raise taxes, as he said, on the wealthiest Americans starting in 2011. And he also is going to start a cap and trade program. And you know, Republicans describe it as raising a tax on carbon emissions. Well, it's not really a tax. It's really a fee on carbon emissions. But nonetheless, it is new revenue. It would be money that businesses that emit carbon would have to pay. And the idea, obviously, is to create an incentive so that they don't give off carbon anymore. So there you go. There's um, the tax increases, as Republican, which Republicans might call them. And they seem to be right out of the gate. I mean, it's sort of shades of 1990, whatever the hell it was, 1993, maybe, uh, where they're right out of the gate. They're all over the health care thing, which is which is fine. I mean, it's yeah, not, not like we don't have a health care system that's broken because we do. But then that seemed like it was a that was just a big uh, that was a big swamp uh, for the Clintons. They did, tried to plunge right through that that healthcare thing, and it just completely derailed the whole program. Yeah, and but you know it's one of those things that if if you're gonna if you have a if you want to have a shot 
of something like healthcare reform. You got to get a running start pretty much the instant you hit the ground. And with the Clintons, you know, that wasn't enough. They they went, I guess, the wrong direction. It didn't work out. But with President Obama, he is in this budget setting aside $600 billion as what he calls a down payment for health care reform. You know, we don't know how much his health care plan ultimately will cost because he hasn't put together all the details yet, but it's likely to be more than a trillion dollars. And his idea, of course, is to subsidize health care for the poor and then also going to change the health care system in general so it's more affordable, more efficient. It sounds really great, but, you know, we have to see the details on exactly how you get there. So he's putting $600 billion in a fund right now, in, his, in theory, in his budget, uh, to help pay for that. I'm distrustful anytime the government says that they're going to put anything in a fund, uh, because it's sort of like, this is the comparison that, I, that I've used a couple of times. It's like in 1977 when um, Star Wars came out, and uh, you know George Lucas, of course, was really a master at, at marketing and merchandising, and really broke a lot of new ground in terms of spin-off toys and things like that. But Kenner, which is the company that made all the Star Wars figures, they couldn't keep up with the demand. There was just, you know, every kid in America wanted Star Wars figures, and there just weren't enough to go around. So what they did that Christmas is, if you were a kid that Christmas and you opened up your presents, you probably, the odds were like one in three that you got a Kenner Star Wars uh, action figure box, and then you opened it up and there was a gift certificate inside going, oh, sorry, it doesn't actually exist yet, but bring this to the store later. <laughs> I didn't know about that, really? Yeah, totally. That is exactly, that's what they did. And uh, I mean, there were, there were certificates given out instead of the actual toys because they just couldn't make them fast enough. Wow. I had no idea. And so I get the feeling that, like, if you were to look into any of these, like, sort of figurative government piggy banks, right. you're just going to see, like, a like a hastily scrawled note saying, ooh, had to use this to go to uh, the Caribbean, but uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, bye, you know? I owe you. So, right. totally. Yeah, and the trick about the budget process is really this is one step in a huge process. The president says, hey, guys, here's what I'd like you to spend money on, and then Congress, of course, passes the actual budget, but the actual budget isn't what spends the money. The actual budget is just sort of a guide uh, for where they could spend money. Then it's the appropriations process that actually doles out the money, and that's another whole separate deal. So this is step one in a very long process that explains quite a lot, I think, about uh, how we end up with the things that we do. I had something else to ask you, but I can't think of what it was, except to say this, that we have a, a screen capture of you, I guess it would have been Tuesday, you, uh, when you were trying to get uh, some answers out of Dick Durbin about, uh, Dick, yes. about Roland Berth, and he wasn't saying anything, he was just sitting there stonewalling, apparently. A little bit. He, so, he was nuancy, but yeah. Somebody sent us a screen capture of you. There's a, a total of like six people there, Tim, and then like some guy, and then a few other people, and then you, and you do have this look on your face that I would say is frustrated slash annoyed slash more than a, a, a little bit peeved <laughs> yes i was i was i was really annoyed that he he would not really just say it just say it already and we noted that it, it must be frustrating for you to realize that you're smarter than about 80 percent of the people you cover and i don't know if that's true I mean, I, it, if it I is thought true. that then i would probably not be i'd be that's what they all think yeah. I, i'm just saying it's it's just one of those things where you're just it, like everybody there knows the deal everybody knows yeah. who's telling the truth and who's trying to just sort of skate by it and it's just like this uh, charade that everybody kind of feels compelled to go through now and again. But what's so great about your, the look on your face is it's like that you alone are willing to express uh, facially what everybody else is feeling internally. <laughs> it's quite something. I'll send it to you if you'd like to see it. Okay, I'm a little nervous, but yeah, yeah. Sure. No, it's great. I'll uh, I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. I'll, I'll leave you with this. Uh, I have no. One thing I have to pass on real yes. quick. Um, for newspaper fans, we've just gotten word that the Rocky Mountain News actually is done, that they're closing up shop tomorrow with their last edition. I just got that, and I have to pass it on because it is such a hit. The Rocky Mountain News is where? 
Um, outside of it's it's in Colorado, and right. the people it's one of the best uh, local newspapers in the country. I mean, they've won four Pulitzers. The fact that this paper is going under, I mean, it's one of the best newspapers in the country, and. It's just, uh, sorry, I guess I just had to vent because it's a huge, huge hit. Well, then I'll leave you with something else. Have you sorry. seen uh, Have you seen that YouTube video that's going around? And it is um, it is a news report from 1981, I believe. And I forget oh. the radio, I forget the television station. It's a San Francisco television station. Um, and it is a news story from 18 years ago. I know 81 would have been what? Is that? Jesus, I'm old. 28 years ago, something. But it's from 1981. Long time ago. It's a TV TV news story from their evening news where they are uh, chronicling how some of the the newspapers in the country are making their contents available via supercomputers (laughs) to anyone who has a home computer. And it is the most fascinating story because they talk to a guy who I think is at the San Francisco Chronicle. And they're talking about seen that, right? And where it takes uh, it takes two hours <laughs> to download the newspaper stories to your home. And the best part, by the way, it almost seems like you're watching an Onion news story because they show this guy. His name is like Earl Jenkins, and the caption underneath him is like, you know, it says Earl Jenkins, and then instead of saying like, you know, area man, it says Earl Jenkins owns home computer. And so he's like the the one guy or whatever in the county that had a home computer. But they're talking about how, you know, in just two hours, you can download the San Francisco Chronicle stories to your home computer and watch them at home. And they are talking to the newspaper guys who are embracing what a great idea this is. And they show on the screen at one point a list of all the newspapers in the country that are experimenting with making their contents available via a computer bulletin board. And of the newspapers they show, I think there's like seven that are either bankrupt or filing. Oh, gosh. So that's a little bit of a... There you go. It's like the beginning of I Am Legend, where you see Emma Thompson talking about the Crippen vaccine. Oh, jeez, right. You know? I believe we have... So you've cured cancer. Yes, yeah. I believe we have. <laughs> oh, well, good. And you can even do the quote. Well done. <laughs> All right. On that note, we got to skedaddle. Uh, we hey, will great. talk to you tomorrow, then. Perfect. Thank you, Lisa. I... There you go. Yes, we have cured cancer. Three years later. Or whatever. I'm sorry. Sorry. I didn't realize that my sandwich had onions in it, so I'm sorry if they start smelling. Uh, I can't. No, I I can't smell. I I can't smell onions. Onions don't bother me. They don't? No. The smell of onions doesn't bother me. Uh, uh, Somebody frying onions does. If you fry onions, they smell kind of weird. I think it does something to the chemical where it it changes. Uh, I do get the thing of where I'm, uh, if I'm chopping onions, you know, I get the the, the stinging in the eyes and the tear gassing and the whatever. Here's the thing. If I can just vent about this for a moment. Does this ever happen to you where... Do you get the thing where if you're chopping onions, it makes your eyes sting? Mm, I don't really chop onions. Have you ever been around somebody? I mean, you've been in the, like your mom or something. You're in the well, kitchen, yeah, I guess when I was younger, cutting yeah, up onions. Before, yeah, I mean, it, it makes my eyes water. Yeah, and it just and you're sitting there like blinking, going. Ah. Here's something that bugs me: is every now and again this will happen. Where you, like you're you're with somebody who just like it doesn't happen to them, and they it, and it, it's like uh, it's like allergies. Somebody who doesn't have them, therefore they think that everybody else is faking. Mm-hmm. So Lara doesn't ever get the thing of the chopping onions and making her eyes water. She'll be in there. I mean, she could be in there cutting up onions by the bushel. It uh, doesn't doesn't bother her at all. It just plays right through it. And meanwhile, I have to leave the kitchen because it's like someone is just injecting uh, uh, you know like mustard gas into my eyes. And then she just thinks I'm being a big baby about it. Quit being a sissy. Get back in here. And she just has no uh, no grasp that it's like a real thing. So anyway, no to. Uh, to answer your question, it doesn't bother me. I don't pay it, no, never mind. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Cool. Well, we don't have Ed McCarthy here. He's supposed to uh, be on the line, but he isn't, so... Steve. Uh, well, we don't have Steve either. Yeah, I just wrote him an email. I guess we have Ed McCarthy later on, too. Uh, there is no Steve at the moment, so we should take a break here. Okay. Take a break. We'll come back. Uh, Steve will either be here 
or he will not. Regardless, David Walker is here, and we will also be giving away passes to see Watchmen this coming Monday. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. to be the person to tell me what different colors of phlegm mean. Now, people are scaring me, too. They're like, oh, that means lung infection. You're going to get a pneumonia. This is another one of those absinthe discussions where everybody thinks that they're the, the person who has the actual answer, that everybody else is effed. All right. Uh, let's see. How about this one? This one says, Rick. Now, okay, look. Everything is just, everything is either an analysis of the color of your phlegm or a zombie comparison, such as this one. Rick, she's turning into a boomer. That's a left for dead thing. Uh, quick, shoot Sarah in the head before her mucus attracts the horde. <laughs> Fantastic. Well done. Thank you. Uh, let's see. How about this? Um, this one says, smokers in phlegm. Rick, as you reduce smoking, the hairs in the lungs and throat begin to revive and start to pull things out of your lungs. Oh, God. It's believed that after five years of not smoking, lungs can return to their pre-smoking condition. Uh, also, Sarah, phlegm is supposed to be clear or yellow. If it's green, you're sick. If it's black, death is near. So there you go. You let me know if your phlegm turns oh black. Oh, my God. Imagine coughing into it. Sometimes a t- I don't like people. <laughs> but, I mean, just what do you suppose your reaction would be? Like, like your actual well, now verbal reaction. Well, I'm never reaction. looking at my phlegm again, ever. You're sort of, never see, that's a lie. You're going to look at it constantly no. now for little flecks of black. Just looking at, and you're—I mean—you're going to imagine it, though. You're going to be like, "Wait, is that?" No, I guess it's more of a brown. All right, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. CNN Radio correspondent and man about town, Steve Kastenbaum. Hello, sir. That's not entirely true. If your phlegm is black, you're near death. It's entirely Thank possible you. that you're already dead and just don't know it, and you're walking around looking for spinal fluid. But if, but if you're if you're walking around a city like New York or uh, you know a major city or let's say you're walking around a city in China where there's a lot of pollution, you inhale all sorts of junk, and uh, sometimes when you cough it up, it's you know it looks kind of black. Yeah, if you're living in China, you're dead inside already, though. So I mean, it's just uh, it's just a matter of I mean, really, it's just a matter of degrees at that point. I mean, it's probably not good if your phlegm is black. I'll no. give you that. <laughs> No, no, I would gather, I would gather that it, that it isn't. Well, mine's uh, just a lovely shade of green right now. Yeah, but it's bright green though. Let me ask, is it is it just like the Perrier bottle, or is it more of like a key lime? No, it's green? like this, but like a little lighter. All right. So it's a, Sarah's pointing at a that's like a Rolling Rock green, you'd say. Mm. All right. So that's eh, not. I mean, that's not terrible, or is it? I thought yellow was terrible. I thought yellow was bad. Uh, but this email says, no, 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 clear or yellow, good, green, bad, black, you know, dead. Uh, but now somebody else is saying, no, 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 yellow is absolutely infected. See, this is going to be one of those why do you tap your cigarettes thing and nobody and knows. And Walker's over there nodding his head because he, too, claims to be the expert. Uh, David Walker? I know a lot about mucus, but Steve's on right now, so I don't want to take up his <laughs> look how, time. Look how gracious you are. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, well, all right, then. Hello, Steve. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Oh. I'm sorry to hear Sarah's phlegm is of... Uh... Uh, an unattractive color. It's the United. It's like it's like Benetton's United Colors of Flint. Playing through the pain there, Steve. So way to go. I saw this uh, chart as I always do on CNN the other day, and it, I always talk about Ellie Velshi pointing at this jagged red line that just seems to be going down and down and down and down and down. But it does seem like I read somewhere, and the, the CNN story seems to, to sort of back this up that layoffs are 
in other words, uh, the, the number of firings has actually decreased slightly, but maybe that's just because there's nobody left to fire. I mean, who knows? It, that could be sort of a like a war of attrition thing where there's just nobody else you can get rid of. You know, the numbers are kind of misleading, or the article is actually, the report, I should say, is kind of misleading. So the commerce, uh, the Labor Department, rather, released a report talking about mass layoffs. Now, what is a mass layoff? Any firing of 50 or more employees. So it could be anything, you know, from 51, 50, 50 or 51 to, you know, to 5,000. Anywhere in between there is a, is a mass layoff. So they're saying in January there were 2,227 mass layoffs, while in December there were 48 more. So the number of mass layoffs has gone down a little bit. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, fewer people are being laid off because there could be lots of smaller numbers of layoffs in there in the mix. I see. So this is this is sort of like um, this is sort of like uh, two bands. One band debuts at number one on the album charts, uh, but, you know, but then is down to number seventy-five the next week. The other band stays at number ten for a year. Uh, and you know, and but is still selling more records, even though they're kind of below the radar a little bit. That's exactly what this is like. And so, so. so I got so then two things. One is it seems like the layoffs are going to tick up again as we get to the end of March because it's going to be the end of a fiscal quarter. And then also, wait, what was my second thing? Also, somebody told me, and this seems sort of it's a thing I inherently I just instinctively believe it, but I don't really know if it's true or not. That the number of actual layoffs is really much higher. We just don't know it because a lot of the jobs that are being uh, eliminated are jobs that had already been outsourced to someplace overseas. In other words, you know, some American company is going to fire half their call staff, except that half the, their call staff is in Bangladesh. Yeah, and there's also a difference between uh, there's a huge difference between uh, announcements of layoffs and the actual unemployment figures, you know, new filings for unemployment, right, because sometimes right. they announce a layoff, but the actual firing doesn't happen for a month uh, until a month down the road. So, uh, you know, we're talking layoffs today also uh, that, uh, I mean, unemployment figures today, and they were up again uh, last week, and we are looking at the possibility of the uh, first-time filings for unemployment come this summer if a recovery doesn't start to take hold by then. We could start to see about a three quarters of a million first-time filings uh, for, uninsh uh, for unemployment insurance benefits each week. Here's a dumb question: Did the best of your knowledge is the unemployment system in, let's say, in New York, for example, is it largely automated, or is it like Patty and it Selma is. there that you got to like go in and you got to talk to them in person? It's automated. Oh, it's automated, and I keep hearing nightmares. In fact, um, uh, a reporter who used to work for the NBC affiliate television station here in New York. She was the Long Island correspondent for 13 years, uh, was let go this year, and she wrote, wrote a really interesting uh, op-ed in New York Newsday, and she talks about how difficult it was just to file for uninsurance employment benefits online, like what a problem, and how you can't get a real person on the phone, and you have to go through all these, you know, hoops uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, th these flaming rings, essentially, to get your un unemployment insurance. It is a little unnerving when you think about it because, by definition, let's say if you're unemployed and you gotta you got to file for unemployment, there's no shame in that. I've done it several times in my life. That's what that money's there for. So you're going to file for unemployment. You can't get a hold of anybody. Uh, you can't find anybody. Nobody will call you back. Nobody will answer, you, uh, you know, your emails. You can't seem to track anybody down. At that point, that is a, it's kind of a, it, it's kind of a scary thing because you then realize... Like, what is the next step? Like, there's no, if, in other words, if you call the unemployment office and they're not getting back to you, who do you call about that? There really is, yeah. at a certain point, you realize you're in this sort of dead, this sort of dead-end blind alley. 
uh, where you just there's there's nowhere to go, and then then you start to get like a real freaked out panic. I would imagine. You ever uh, speak to people in England about their uh, the public dole as they call it there? No. It's I want to be on the public dole in England. I mean, you, you basically it's so much more lenient than uh, unemployment here. And uh, I, I got the impression from my friends who live there that it's, it, it is possible to stay on unemployment insurance there for, for many years in a row wow. and, and just sort of hang out. That's what makes them the empire that they are, sir. It's like uh, there's that scene in The Commitments uh, where uh, Jimmy Rabbit is uh, he's in line to file, you know, to get his – he's on the dole, you know, he's to get his unemployment benefits for the week or whatever. And he's talking to the woman, you know, at the front of the sort of bureaucrat, and she says, you know, Mr. Rabbit, you've been collecting unemployment benefits for, you know, for four years. Are you telling me you can't get a job? And he just says – we're a third world country. What can you do? And then he just like grabs the envelope and walks off. <laughs> and and she has that. Then the actress, whoever it is, has this. She does it all with the face, and it's just that perfect look that that says like, well, I suppose it's true. And then she just says next, you know. And so anyway, it is uh, is one of those things, as they say. On that note, uh, are you on tomorrow, sir? I am. And 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 tomorrow, uh, remind me uh, to talk to you about my iPod. Are you guys uh, iPod users? Um, well, I, in the generic sense, yes. I don't have an I don't have an actual iPod. I have a thing called a Zen, which is from a Creative. Uh, but I do use a portable MP3 player. Yes. Uh, because I um my wife bought me like an 80 gig iPod a year ago, and I first started downloading music onto it now. So I'm new to this whole thing. And Were I you waiting it. for the ice truck to bring your music by, or? <laughs> yeah, I'm just. Uh, it's really perplexing to me when I realize like how many different playlists I'm going to have to form now. Now is it an actual iPod? Yes, yes, it is. The great thing is she bought it for a year ago. It's already outdated. So congratulations on that. Uh, the, the, I mean, it's already they've already introduced probably 700 new features that you won't be able to use with that one. But that being said, the iPod's a great piece of equipment. It really is. It's one of the best designs. I mean, which is coming as no surprise because it's Apple. It's just really one of the best designed consumer products like ever. And it, when you consider, and it's the only thing I'll say about it because I can just start to I can just start to wax poetic about uh, about computers and uh, consumer goods and electronics and especially about Apple and Steve Jobs just forever. But when you consider, look at it, think about it this way: you look back at like my like your grandmother had one of those stereos that was like it was like a huge piece of furniture and it looked like a coffee table that went on for about 10 feet and you had to open the top like it was a hope chest and inside was the hi-fi and then the radio and then the whatever and it was like 700 different knobs on it and they all did different things and you couldn't quite figure it out I mean, God help you if you were trying to listen to like shortwave radio or something there's so many buttons and dials you couldn't even turn the thing on mm -hmm. whereas the iPod which does more by a factor of like a thousand and yet it has one button I mean, and that really is, that's human evolution right there, and I'm not even joking. I mean, that really is, that really is just aesthetics uh, taken to there. Uh, that is the apotheosis right there. Yeah, so. well, I, I know you got to go, but all I was going to say was, you know, if, if the Cold War was still on, I would be inclined to think that the iPod was an invention of a Russian foreign agent or something like that that was meant to distract us from being productive because we spend so much time figuring out our playlists and stuff like that. I used to think that Tetris was designed for the same purpose. Mm. All right. On that note, sir, have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you. All See right, you. Go. Steve Kastenbaum, ladies and gentlemen. All right. So welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. David Walker, you need a theme song. I guess I do need a theme he song. really does. What would you like your theme song to be? I'd have to think about that. All right. I want to talk today like I'm Bobby Jindal. Hello, Rick. Hello, Sarah. <laughs>
Well, How are you today? <laughs> and th- did you I, see that? The, did you watch it on, MS- on uh, MSNBC? Where when he was walking to the stage and Chris Matthews, you just hear him go, oh, God. (laughs) That was one of the most pathetic things I've ever seen. Pathetic means something that is not good, as in sad or undesirable. This is the the guy who gave this sort of rebuttal, uh, so-called, to Obama's speech. And it was really just... It was just like wooden and bad and awkward and embarrassing and angering and just annoying kind of all at once. It was so embarrassing to me that it made me wish that I could go to Louisiana. That is a state in the United States where Bobby Jindal is governor, which means he governs that state. And I wanted to pimp slap him. That is meaning I would slap him as if I were a pimp. I'm done doing my Bobby Jindal. Are you following this, Sarah? Just in case. I just love the crazy people we have on the show. Have you, have you, listened, have you listened to the speech, Sarah? Mm-mm. It's, you know what? That should be... The video rodeo. Really? Because I made it like 48 seconds into it when, when he said, <laughs> have you watched it? Uh, I, watched, I watched sections of it on YouTube, and I had the same reaction. I watched enough, and I kind of, I did that terrible thing where I watched it, and I went, I've seen enough of this to judge the rest of it. I have things to do. Yes. Off. I, I got to the part where he said, <laughs> I'm not making this up. He, he's talking about how his parents came over from India, and this is what he said. He said, my mother was four and a half months pregnant with me. That means she's what people in the insurance business would call. Oh no, that means I would be what people in the insurance business called a pre-existing condition. Yeah, no. Yeah, that was that was his that was his that was his way of warming up the crowd. Then he said, "Thank you, I'm here all week." Here's the thing about um, here's the thing about Republicans. They're not funny. Oh well. He, not funny. They're funny in the way the guy standing next to you gets run over by the runaway bus. They're funny like that. <laughs> They're funny inadvertently. Yeah. They're funny the way that, uh, the, what was that movie you watched, Sarah? The Room? The Room. Yeah, which you said was so excruciatingly bad that it sort of did a yes, slingshot around um, the sun to become great. It is the most amazing yeah. thing ever. It's from uh, Dave Zinn, let me borrow it because I let him borrow a repo. Mm-hmm. It is amazing. I, actually, I need to watch it with other people because I watch it by myself. I'm sitting in my apartment just laughing my ass off. By, and it's not, it's not a comedy. Yes. <laughs> not inadvertently. No. It is genius. Okay. Here's the thing. It is amazing. I'll, I'll watch that, and I'll give you uh, – you never did watch the Found Footage Film Festival uh, collection. No, I did. I have it, too. The DVD, the they, first one? They sent two of them. Did you, is it volume one? Is it the one that has the Clowns for Christ? Yes. Oh, it's so great. It's like, because it's a whole bunch of, as it's, you know, as the title indicates, I don't know if you've gone to their film festival when they do it here, but it's just found, it's like literally just VHS tapes they find at garage sales so they don't and cheat. flea like markets. It's, it's everything that has to be in, yeah, flea market, garage sales. Find it in a drawer somewhere. Stuff in my closet. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's things like Arby's training videos and an Estelle Getty workout tape and Angela, <laughs> Lan- there's a whole long sequence where Angela Lansbury is, it's massaging like a, herself. massaging herself with oil while talking about sexuality for older women. And it's just like soft focus lens and blowing gauzy curtains but there is this one that it's like clowns for jesus and it's a training video to become a clown for christ and it's hilarious and terrifying because it does because they're like five clowns and they're all kind of scary looking and at one point they're telling you like do's and don'ts if you're going to be a clown for christ and it says you know sometimes clowns in large groups can be unsettling and so it's like how not like how you don't want to sneak up on people and to illustrate this they show the four clowns like leaning out from around a corner, like, and like looking, and then they show a guy coming out his front door, and he looks over and he sees the clowns who stare back at him, and he looks kind of like, um, he looks kind of like what's it, Brian Doyle Murray, and he just, he just kind of does this small shake of his head, like not leaving the house today, and he just ducks back inside and deadbolts it. 
which is fantastic. I'll bring it. You know what? It's, it's one of the best things ever. Yeah, that's something that would be. I, I went through. I, I actually was. I watched the worst movie ever made last night. Which is? It's, it's a movie called Fatal Revenge. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> and it's, it's the first film I ever worked on back in 1988. And I was looking for something else in the closet, and I found this VHS tape, and it said Fatal Revenge. What did you do on the film? I was in the movie. Oh. I was in the movie. Wow. It's, it's terrible. It's really bad. And on that same videotape was the episode of Remote Control that I was on, MTV's Remote Control. No, get out. Yeah, yeah. You I never was... told, you bastard. Why would you not have told us that? Because I got robbed. I got robbed. Are you bitter about it? I'm really... How did you get... I'm I'm so bitter. Hold on. on. I'm pulling up a chair chair right now. Thinky chair. All right. So, David Walker, you were... uh, Sarah, you don't remember remote control. Uh, I I have no references to it. I didn't watch it. It was a game show on MTV, which was really... And maybe I'd feel differently if I saw it now, but I don't think so. Because the thing about remote control, the game show on MTV, is it was so tacky and low rent even then. Mm-hmm. That was the gimmick, is mm-hmm. that it was a show done for like $10. So I don't think it would look dated as such. In other words, you'd be able to tell what era it was from by the music and the hair and the whatever. But it would it was so cheesy at the time. It looked like a public access show. I mean, even then when it came out, that was the whole gimmick. It was supposed to look like it was from Ken Ober's basement. So I don't think the sets or anything would look that dated now, but... It was, you know, it was it was sort of like Jeopardy, but for like, uh, you know, for like burnouts who watched MTV. For not that smart people, yeah. Yeah. People mm-hmm. that and it was smart. for, eight, you know, the ADD kind of generation. It had Kari, Kari Wurrer, who was hot. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, and whatever. And at the end, the final competition, the big boss that you had to play at the end, like if you, if you, if you defeated the other two people, your final competition, which seemed really groundbreaking at the time, was that you would face this wall of videos. It was more of a triangle of videos, but it was this huge pyramid of video screens, and I think there was 10 of them. Yep, there was 10 of them. And it was called the lightning round, by the way. And there was, what, like 60 seconds or something, and you had to sim- you had to identify by sight 10 music videos and what they were and who the band was Okay. in, like, 60 seconds. And that if you could do that, you won the grand prize. So that was remote control. Yeah. And it had Colin Quinn as the announcer. Oh, okay. Yeah. I remember when he was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Back, yeah, back before he became a douche. <laughs> so, uh, so please to tell us everything. How okay. did you get on the show? Uh, I was I was living in New York City at the time, going to college at School of Visual Arts, and they had this open audition. And so my friends, you know, oh, you should go audition. You should go audition. So I went as a goof, and you just sort of you had to answer like three trivia questions. I think is what it was. And then you had to tell, you had to make everybody in the room laugh. Were yeah. they were the questions about MTV or were they, they just were about real, whatever? They were real pop culture ones, right? But they were like like so many people didn't get them, and it was and it was interesting because like at that point I was in a room full of my peers, but one of them was a question of the question was something like who was Cher married to, you know? And it was like oh no, or Cher was you know part of a famous duo who was her husband, and of course it was Sonny Bono, you know? But nobody knew. That it, I mean, really? like literally, huh? and everybody's, so it's like a pop quiz, and everybody's sitting next to you like, they were like cheating, they were like, you know, who was Cher's husband, you they know? They didn't know. I know, exactly, yeah. well, so, so I, I managed, and the thing was, everyone had, and at this time, Andrew Dice Clay had just exploded, he was right. really big, and um, so everybody who got up on stage, you had to get up in front of the whole audience and be really funny, and everybody was like doing these really bad Andrew Dice Clay type jokes, and I'm thinking to myself, well, this is going to be on TV. Why would they? Right. They're, they're not going to. They they want to see if you can be funny without swearing and right. make make a fool of yourself. So because they went in alphabetical order, I was one of the last people to go. So I watched everybody do it wrong, and so I got up, I did it right, and then. Um, what did you do? What was the? Uh... I I I said. Um, I just I simply asked everybody. I said, if the six million dollar man, um, 
how come when the $6 million man ran, his non-bionic arm was able to go at the same speed as his bionic arm? And when you think about it, it should have just sort of been flapping in the breeze. Wow, you just blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and, and I blew everybody's mind. They laughed. And, and so I got on the show, and... Uh, and and I was I was I was kind of a you know a, a jerk about it. Like you're supposed to be really spastic, and right. that's what they want everyone to do. They you know they want you to be like a frat boy. Totally, totally. It was a show for frat boys, mm-hmm. and I refused to do that. And I like I hadn't shaved in like four months, so I had this really <laughs> crazy beard. I look I look like some I look like someone out of Hamas, really. And and I my hair was like sort of they, I had these dreads, and I just looked I looked totally wow. high, which I might have been. I can't even remember. And so the, what happened was. Was you? It was me and the, the other guy. It was down to two of us, and uh, and and the buttons. It sounds like a total like lie, but the buttons sort of stick. And so when you get the yeah. answer, you press the button, and it didn't necessarily light up your thing. And um, and so it was the the, the round was going on. I'm watching this last night, re- reliving the trauma actually when I found this tape. Oh. And uh, and so you the thing was was they would name off the title of a Beatles song, but they would change it. And you would have to name the thing that was... They put in the word, like, duck or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the song was um, All You Need Is um, Love, mm-hmm. right? And they they said whatever it was. And the guy opposite me shouts out his answer, but he his, doesn't, his buzzer didn't go off. Right. And so then I thought my buzzer had gone off, so I shot out the right answer. Because he said, all you need is life. Wrong. Right. And, and then I shout out love, and then his thing goes off. And he says love, and he gets it right. Oh, that is oh, that's that's, that's ho- and it's on. I got the videotape. And so you know, if you lost, they pulled your chair back through the wall, and all this debris came down. They actually pulled the other guy back, and then they cut, and they said, "Oh no, we have to retape that because yeah." And so wait, and, then, then his buzzer didn't go off, and then yours didn't either. Yeah, and then so, but then his did go off. Even though he said the wrong answer. Yeah. That is such crap. I know. I know. And so, and this is the worst part. At that point in my life, I didn't have a television, so I hadn't been watching MTV probably in close to a year. The lightning round came up, and I'm in the wings watching it, and I knew every single video. So I would have won like a trip or two to Mexico or something like that. Uh. Then I got a pair of crappy shoes. That's some British Knights. uh, They were L.A. Gears. L.A. Gears. Yeah. And and a universal remote control. Wow. it doesn't work anymore, but I still have it like a trophy. Wow. That makes me angry. I'm all angry on your behalf. <laughs> That's a bummer. You know, here's the thing. You will actually, I've seen this from now and again on, especially now uh, on the net. A lot of times you'll see outtakes from game shows, which I'm always assuming it's somebody on the crew who's like, hey, Bob Barker was drunk this day. Let's upload it. Uh, there's one of Alex Trebek swearing up a storm. Yeah. That one's on there. And there's, But there's, I think it's Jeopardy where there's there was an outtake. Where like you know they're like you know this you know this explorer was looking for the legendary fountain of youth, and there's a guy like he clicks, and it's it's almost funny because it looks like a cartoon. He clicks, and then he just and then he looks down, and you just see him looking at it and clicking it like over and over again with his thumb real quizzically, like what seems to be the problem here. And meanwhile, everybody else is like shouting out or, or answering it directly, and the guy's just like jabbing his button over and over again. And it won't go off. And I guess it turned out later that the, the thing was defective. Yeah. Uh, or the clicking was. I mean, would you think about it, especially. I mean, you have this this illusion in your head that if it's like MTV, 
everything is brand new and shiny and it's a billion dollar operation. But especially at that point, that wasn't the case. And oh, yeah, they probably no. bought some crap from Radio Shack and hooked it up there and never bothered to, to check it. So they, they, they would film like two episodes, two, three episodes at a time. Mm-hmm. And they would just use the same audience, but uh, they would have you move seats so that, like, you know, it, it looked, looked like a fresh audience. Like a different audience. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Jesus. So, it, yeah, that's it, it, now, see, if it, I'm telling you, now it's going to become my goal. It is going to become my goal to get uh, either uh, Colin Quinn, Kari Wurr, who was on a show for a while. I don't know where the hell she ever went to. She was doing something or other. Uh, or Ken Over on the show. Okay. Just so you can come in and be like, let's settle Sounds, something right now, friend. And I got, I got the tape. I'll, I'll burn it to DVD. And um, it's just it's more embarrassing because I just look like a total tool. I'm it's surprised you even put it on your website. I would totally put that online. If I, 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 I will be putting it up pretty soon. So. That's gold, yeah. dude. Yeah. All right. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Hey, did you get to meet any of them? Yeah, you, I met him briefly. You know, Colin Quinn gave me like the hairy eyeball or right. something like that. I was like, "What, what do you like, you, know, you know, that was was it? You could, I mean, that was one of those things where he was going through that. I mean, I say like I know him, but he did have, he did have that kind of like I am the S vibe going on. Which yeah, I guess he's kind of pompous. When yeah, he was I mean, yeah. that's why you know, you, I mean, you're on MTV, and I don't know how old he was at that point, but you got a show on MTV that's pretty popular. I mean, he, you know, that's pretty heady stuff. So he, I think he he went through that whole believing he's the character. Thing uh, was Kari were hot in person at all? Yeah, she was hot in person, but she was too skinny. Well, yeah, I mean, she he, but she had the cool trashy thing that I like a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. She had that like mall mall tramp uh, <laughs> thing that I'm a big fan of. And as I as I've often said, really, there's there's almost no girl that doesn't look better with an extra 15 pounds. But that being said, uh, she did just in terms of style, just looked like absolute trash, and just was that just and that counts for a lot with me. Yeah, no, there was there was definitely a, a strong trash vibe coming Excellent. out. And then Ken Over was just kind of a tool, but in a kind of an endearing sort of a way. I, like what happened to him? I don't know. He was like a really, really, really poor man's Jerry Seinfeld. He seemed to me kind of because he seemed like kind of a kind of a regular guy, kind of dorky though. Yeah. Kind of cool because he was on MTV. But, like, you knew if he wasn't on th- on MTV, he would be, a, like, a dork. Well, you watch any of that MTV stuff from, like, I'll say before before Nirvana hit. Right. And it, so it's all that 80s, early to mid-80s stuff. And some of that stuff is just, like, like on the Purple Rain double DVD, they have the MTV coverage of the world premiere. And it's it literally, like, you and I could go out and shoot better footage with a cell phone camera. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, and I, uh, one of the, the, the great thrills of my, of my life, which sounds silly to people who maybe aren't, aren't of our generation, uh, I got to interview Nina Blackwood. Oh, um, she was so hot back in the day. Uh, yeah, emphasis on back, back in, in the day. day. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, and Nina, if you're listening somewhere out there, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I love you, but uh, don't smoke and stay out of the sun. Uh, that's the two uh, rules of life. It, all I need to know I learned from Nina Blackwood, you just you, you drop the palm malls and stay inside. Because uh, she still got the great voice, though. It's very, you know, kind of the gravelly voice. Yeah. But when I was doing, I used to do this show, um, this sort of ill-fated program I did years ago that was downtown in a recording studio. And she did, and even, even this is like in 2000, even then it didn't make any sense. I don't know why she was flying in from L.A. It's like you could do it via ISDN or record it or record it to CD. But for some reason, this is maybe one of the reasons the company went bankrupt. Because Nina Blackwood was doing, not even a live radio show, she was doing like a syndicated uh, this is before satellite radio, so she was doing one of those syndicated radio shows like Casey Kasem's Top 40. And the thing is, they send it out to radio stations on CD, and the radio stations play. So when you hear Casey Kasem or Ryan Seacrest or whoever doing the Top 40, that's not live. That's now via MP3 or that's whatever. That's not but live? I don't mean to blow your uh, blow your mind again, but 
You know, when I would, but when I was first growing up, like I would think that like Casey Kasem was up at the crack of dawn in the studio, like broadcasting, and then I got in the radio, and you realize that everything you thought was true was a lie. But they would fly her from Los Angeles up here to Portland once a month to tape out four weeks of shows, which is just silly and a total waste of money. Um, which they also did then later with Snoop uh, because they were doing like the syndicated Big Snoop Dog Radio, mm-hmm. and I I got why they were doing that. Because they wanted every opportunity to have him in Portland, so that like investors or whoever could come by and see, like, hey, Snoop is in our recording studio here, and we're in you know Big Bad Portland. And but they would fly Nina Blackwood, and uh, so I I wrangled to have her on the show at one point, and um, just uh, kind of daffy in sort of a sort of a charming way, just uh, clearly had just uh, you know just had had that look like it had been a haggard few years, had been a tough tough decade for her since she left MTV. Um, but, but she was really charming and really funny. And I asked her about all those, you know, like Alan Hunter and Martha Quinn and, you know, I'm just, you know, what were they really like? And just, and she, you could tell that she was still just so happy to have been a part of it. And, you know, it was making, you know, and it was making a living off being the, you know, Nina Blackwood still, yeah. I mean, she was still able to, you know, she was still able to get, get work with that, which is good. You know, if you can, if you can make a living off just being your own brand, God bless you. Cause that's a, that's a great thing to do, but she was still just so so happy that she'd been part of it, and she glowed when you asked her about it, you know. And but then I said, uh, I said, so uh, I asked her this question. I said, so how how old is Kurt Loader? Because it's like <laughs> depending on what bio you read, he's either like thirty or he's like a hundred. And I said, and he's been there, and he's still there. He's still like the head reporter and guy, and he's still right. He's still the lead writer at MTV.com. I mean, he seemed freaking old when I was a kid. And I said, how old is Kurt Loader, Nina Blackwood? And she said. And she, I think it was one of those things where she said, like, she forgot the mic was on. And she goes, oh, God, I don't even know. And I said, really? Because he seems, she goes, and before I could even ask the follow-up question of, like, he seems fairly aged, she just goes, and he looks like a corpse. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think he's been embalmed or something. I mean, I don't know. When are we back from the break? (laughs) I was like, we're on now. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. But she was pretty great, and then I got a photo taken with her, which is uh, which I've lost. But she was pretty great. So. See, I, and I and I kind of had the hots for Martha Quinn too. Yeah, she, America's Next Door Neighbor. Yeah, because she was kind of nerdy, yeah. And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh, now she and then she did those Neutrogena commercials or whatever a couple years ago. But Martha Quinn was just you know what she was? She was just flat out adorable. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And the great thing about MTV is in that era is that it had, and maybe it's that way now. I'm not going to pretend that I like I'm like not even for show prep at this point would I would I watch MTV. And I don't know. There's no reason to. Yeah, I don't, I'm trying to be snooty. No about reason. It. I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit younger than you, and I I don't identify with it at all. That's my thing. I, I watch it. No, but I'm I'm lying. You watch I the do. Hills. I watch it on the internet though. MTV.com has every trashy show you'd ever want to really? see. Really? Oh yeah. So I'll watch I'll watch the Hills on there. I'll watch the City, which is the Hills, and um. <laughs> The new Real World Brooklyn, which I can't even watch anymore because it, the was characters like the, are so That's like the twentieth season or yeah. something. Yeah. Like, oh, it's like yeah, twentieth or twenty-first. Well, the woman who created that has been dead for like seven years. That's how yeah. old that show is. But I mean, and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to be what you know, hipper than thou or whatever with not watching MTV. I mean, you know, people. I, I am. I'm hipper than thou by not watching it. I'm just saying, like, maybe it's good in a relative sense. But it's all in a relative sense. But it's not like I'm not in the Target demo and. You know, so there's no need for me to watch it, and it doesn't surprise me that I don't like it because it's not meant for me at this point anyway. So I mean, eh, maybe it's good, maybe it's not. It's probably not, but I guess I wouldn't know anyway because it's not being designed. It's like Gogurt, you know. Maybe Gogurt's good, but I don't know. Now, do you remember the moment you made that shift? Because remember when we, when we were younger, like VH1 wasn't 
for for guys oh. like us. We the it was old, for old people watch. Yeah. 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 Now, do you remember the moment when you were suddenly like, "Wow, MTV's not for me anymore," and 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 then VH1 was. I. It's funny you say that actually. Um, it's really weird that you bring that up. So I I. Uh, a few years ago, I did this movie called Bigger Than Jesus, which is all about growing up as a rock fan mm-hmm. in America and how, how, uh, how you know, all music, but in my case specifically rock and 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 metal to some degree, kind of changed me as a person and 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 you know and, and how what you listen to at various stages in your life is in many ways a a reflection of or an analog to y- your own life and how you need certain kinds of music in different ways at certain times and whatever. Um, but at the, at the but but in one of the very and this was never uh, performed in one of the very early because we did several runs of it and then we filmed it but in one of the very early drafts that I don't think even made it to the Clinton Street performance which was with the, kind of the inaugural one I doubt that's Joni but in one of the very early drafts I just had you know when you're writing a first draft it's just it's just like every thought in your head mm-hmm. and then you figure I'll cut it down later so it was like 400 pages you know it just went <laughs> on and on and on I mean the, the the full stage show was like two hours. I think the first draft it was it was like four and a half hours long. You just write everything, but I had this uh, this sort of section, basically just a monologue, but this big section I wrote at one point about the MTV VH1 VH1 Classic Evolution, and it was exactly that point that when we were growing up, it was like VH1 was just Michael Bolton and Phil Collins. You're like that's for old people. It's nothing yeah. but Gloria Stefan videos. I'm watching MTV, and then at one point we all woke up and we were watching it VH1, and the creepy thing is that we had all been moved without realizing it. And then later, I got moved to VH1 Classic without realizing. Yeah, it. it's it's like remember in in, in the movie Meatballs when yes. the, they would uh, take the Morty the counselor and he wakes up in the middle yeah, of the river. That's exactly what it was like. Which is creepy to me because what that tells me is that marketers, I mean, you know, we're we're in the marketing business to some degree, but that they're so much more clever than you even really realize because some guys in a boardroom in New York somewhere woke up and they said, in essence. Okay, that guy that's been watching MTV, uh, we're going to have him watch VH1 now. And then in about 10 years, uh, we're going to have him watch this VH1 classic. Make it so. And they pressed a button, and goddamn if it didn't happen. Like five five months later, there I am sitting at home watching Billy Joel behind the music, going, ah, this is great. <laughs> and then like later, I'm watching Metal Mania on VH1 classic. This is great. I don't know why I did it. Someone told me to do it, and I did, but I don't remember when. It's all very weird. Yeah, it's I, I I'm trying to narrow it down myself. I think about it. Um, behind the music was when it really started. Yeah. Was it when yeah. that transition? Because so many of the people they were profiling. I mean, the first one, the Millie Vanilli one. I didn't like that group, but I thought but it was, it was so, a fascinating. It was show. so fascinating. But suddenly it was like, wait a minute, this is all the music I listened to. Yeah. These are all these are all the. It's bands almost that... like they've analyzed my demographic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's... Behind the music really was. I I have two moments, and we'll take a break here. We'll come back to do some actual news. Uh, <laughs> I have two moments. Sorry, Sarah. Awesome. I'm just eating my sandwich and listening to you guys. When I moved away from home, uh, when I moved out at 18, uh, I it was it was then there is this whole uh, chunk of years where my television pop culture knowledge is not non-existent, but almost. Because when I moved away from home, I didn't have a TV. Yeah. Uh, and it was years. And even then, when I got a TV, I didn't have cable. Uh, so I had a VCR, and I just had my same collection of videotapes that I watched a thousand times. So I would just, you know, I had, uh, which is good for me, because I, you know, like a lot of guys, I can watch the same movie every night for a year. <laughs> and I'm fine with it. Like, I went on this whole thing of just, uh, you know, watching, the, there's this documentary, The Making of the Pump Album by Aerosmith. And I must have watched that every single night for probably a month, just because, you know. Uh, and after a while, it's like Steven Tyler's Your Companion coming off the magical glass box in the living room. But I didn't have, I didn't have cable. So from 91, maybe, 90, 91 to like, Jesus, maybe 94, 
uh, I didn't really watch new television. So there's a whole chunk of time there that I just didn't, I didn't, I don't, you know, and that's really, and plus it was coupled with the rise of grunge, which, which didn't resonate with me at all. Uh, you know, to a large degree, the Seattle stuff, you know, that, what we call grunge, but that, that era of music, the alt rock, alt hard rock, all that stuff, it, it, most of it just, it just bounced off me. It just didn't do anything for me at all. And, so I didn't have any desire to watch MTV. So I, I can't wait to watch the new Mad Season video. Oh, wait, I can watch forever. You know, I can wait forever to see that. I don't ever need to see that. So I didn't watch it. And then that was the first moment is when MTV and the music scene were not available to me, but I didn't care. And then I remember living in San Diego right before I moved here, and it would have been early 98. And I remember watching behind the music, again, in a friend's house, because Laura and I didn't have cable. Uh, we're over there at a friend's house, and we're watching the Billy Joel behind the music, and he's sitting there, and he's, it's that thing where he's talking about how he tried to kill himself by drinking a jar of furniture polish, and I'm thinking, this is the best show I've ever seen. <laughs> I never thought I'd hear Billy Joel dr talk about drinking lemon pledge. This is so great. And they went to a break, and VH1, they did one of those little, like, interstitial promos, like we play here, where it's like, uh, you know, thank you for listening to AM 970, a repository of all that is golden and glorious, or whatever. But they're doing one of those ads for, for VH1, and they're doing of a little promo about Behind the Music as I'm watching Behind the Music. And they actually had that guy whose name I've forgotten, but he's the guy who's the voice of VH1. And they're interviewing a bunch of, it's that man on the street thing, where they're interviewing people about Behind the Music. And it's like, you know, just a bunch of people walking down the street in L.A. And they're like, oh, I love the show. It tells you a lot of stories about bands. And the other guy goes, well, you know, I find that I watch it a lot, and it really has made me appreciate my favorite artists even more. And the final man on the street is a guy going, I just can't quit watching it. And the VH1 guy goes, we know. <laughs> Behind the music, nightly. And I remember thinking, oh, God, they're in my head. Yeah. And that was the moment that I was like, wow, like they've done something without me even realizing it. Yeah, so. no, they would have those marathons, like eight hours, of, and, and I would just watch them all. Oh, yeah. And then, and at that point, my VCR wasn't recording, so I was calling friends up. There was no TiVo or anything. Hey, can you record behind the music? Yeah. I mean, I've seen this one five times already, but it's the Motley Crue one, and when he talks about his daughter dying, oh, my God, it, it makes me want to cry. Yeah. So. Uh, hello, Sarah. <laughs> Hi. How does it feel to be young? <laughs> all right. I, you guys do make me feel quite youthful. Yeah, thing. well, it's one of the many services we provide. Take and then break. I watch the hills, and they're like ten years younger. Well, that's see, and Lara watches that too, so you can feel. I mean, honey, if you're out there, I'm sorry. Uh, you, can, you know, look, uh, Lara's uh, a few weeks older than you, and uh, and she watches the hills, so you know, I mean, don't uh, you know, don't don't feel bad about it. All right, because she's a Twilight mom. Jesus. Oh yeah. It's a weird. It's a weird world. It really is. All right, back after this, it's the uh, Rick Emerson Radio Program coming up. News with David Walker. Later on, Dorothy Carcassari for the National Enquirer. And your shot at Passes to See Watchmen on Monday. Stay there. to SarahXDillon.com today, you really ought to do so. There's a trailer for what looks to be the worst movie ever made. It is so bad, Rick, that they have um, monthly screenings of it, midnight screenings, uh, like Rocky Horror Picture Show style in L.A. Excellent. It's Every, called like, uh, like, the, the Room. It's called The Room. And I, I didn't realize I had I've seen the mo part of the movie before, and it, I think I saw it under a different title several oh, years ago. It's off. It's like a softcore porn slash... Without any of the... 
good softcore stuff. Although yeah, there's a lot of man butt. Yeah, his 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 he, butt. He's really proud of his. He, you know what? And and okay. David was telling me that he was real. Well, yeah, let's back up for yeah, a second. Let's back so up and get back when you get when you get a chance, go to sarahxdillon.com, and she's got a two minute trailer posted for this movie that she watched last night. And she came in and said, like, I saw the worst movie last night, yeah, and I thought it was a joke, and it turns out it's serious, and that makes it so much better. Uh, apparently, it's a terrible, terrible, terrible film that then becomes brilliant because it's so bad. No, it's it doesn't even become. It is so bad at the beginning that you're just watching it laughing. But it's like it's done straight facedly, right? Like this guy and the guy. The star is also the writer, the product, uh, director, and producer, an auteur, and clearly, I mean, one might look at him and say, is this man on drugs? But he also, he's just bad, you can tell. So the trailer is at SarahXDillon.com, and the trailer has already sold me on the film. It seems awful, it is, awful, awful. I'm already, I'm already, I've talked to a bunch of my friends, I'm already having a bunch of people over this weekend to Fantastic. watch it. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Well, you do that. You know what the guy looks like to me, and this is. So have you seen him in real life? No, I've never. Seen, he used to. He emailed me a bunch of times at one point. I have got to tell you about a great film I make. Yeah, that, that was basically it. And then, and I remember he. I know he rented a theater in New York and showed it there, but um, he looks like. And I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but you know, sometimes when you're out and you see like it's sort of goth night or something mm. like that, or fetish night, and there's those those guys that sort of fancy themselves to be vampires, right. but they look just kind of silly. Yeah. He looks like one of those guys. He, he looks, looks like, like too much caked on pancake Yeah, makeup. he looks, you know, he's really, he, he looks, have you ever seen the subspecies movies? They were at Full Moon Entertainment. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Actually. He looks like the vampire guy from subspecies. I was also going to say this. When you look at that guy, um, it's, by the way, a point of pride with me that we gave away the subspecies box set. Uh, Those are classic As well movies. as the Puppet Master uh, <laughs> uh, box set last year. Um, th- when you look at this, uh, and this is the last thing we'll say because it's a movie trailer that I can't even, you really need to see it. It's just so great. Go to SarahXDillon.com. Watch this trailer. I'm telling you right now, go it, sight unseen. You should probably buy the film. Um, it's so great, and you know that this guy who's the actor slash writer slash director slash producer slash visionary, you know that he believes himself in real life to be a tormented genius. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. You know it's true. Oh, you and just... you have to see it. And, like, the, the gray screen that they use, like, there are a lot of scenes on top of the building, like, when the one guy's threatening. Okay, there's a random drug dealer that comes out of nowhere that, you know, never comes back again. And, there's like, there's another scene where one of them's trying to wrestle the other one to the ground. And the backdrop is supposed to be San Francisco. It is so fake looking. <laughs> it's obviously like a bad drawing it a guy's holding up. Hilarious. And then let me just say yeah. one more thing. Like, there's this one point where the woman who plays the slutty girl's mother and saying they're talking about how she has to sell her house. And then in the same sentence, same inflection, she just blurts out that she has breast cancer and just continues to talk about the house some more. That's it's like, a, and I have breast cancer. And golden filmmaking is what it that was. Is. Magical. Yeah, it was. It, it is a wonderful film. Uh, by the way, this says uh, I hadn't heard or seen anything about that Bobby Jindal guy's response to Obama's speech. This is not my observation, but someone noted that he sounds exactly like Kenneth the Page on Thirty Rock. It's totally true. It is absolutely true. Uh, oh, now I have to hear it. Final movie uh, note about about uh, anything is this. I uh, I finished this uh, two nights ago. I, I had watched it almost all the way through. And then I got to that point, and I try never to do this. I try never to stop a movie before it's done if it's a movie that I'm enjoying because I feel like then you don't get the full – I mean, that's just one of those things that I, I hate doing, and I hate myself when I'm doing it. But I had reached my absolute limit. I had to go to bed. There was just no way I could justify staying up for another half hour. So it took me two days to watch it, which I regret. But it is a film called Let the Right One In, which is a uh, – have you seen this? Let the Right One In? 
Is that the uh, Swedish vampire? Oh yeah, film? I did see that when I was. I, I wow, couldn't remember the title. that was an amazing. Movie. It's amazing, and I mean, it seems like a movie that's going to be kooky or like weird or a B movie, because it's about. I mean, these are all these are no spoilers, lol. It's just this is all pretty. This is you know the, the synopsis. It takes place in Sweden, where it's extra creepy because it's like dark and frozen all, all the time. time. Yeah, it's always frozen, and everybody's pale and, and weird. That kid's weird looking anyway. Totally yeah. like an albino. It looks like one of the winter kids. Yeah. Um, but it is about a kind of misfit. You know, uh, a boy who I, I think is probably 10 or 11 who meets a 12-year-old girl who is also kind of a misfit, and they bond. And again, it's it, I think I said the other day, it's not like they're really dating, cause but it's that weird stage where, like, you're not quite friends, but you kind of have a crush, but you can't really date, but you're kind of like, whatever. But it is this bond friendship between this uh, young boy and this 12-year-old girl, um, who and the, and the girl is a vampire. And... When I heard that description, I heard good things, but I thought, oh, it's okay. You know, I, you kind of get an idea of what kind of movie it's going to be because it seems like kind of a kind of a weird or, or funny or strange premise. It is just the most powerful mm-hmm. movie. It is beautiful. I mean, that, it really, that whole it, bit at the swimming pool is one of the most wow intense scenes I've ever seen. I really is, enjoyed that movie. Too, I right cannot there. recommend, and I'll tell you this right now: uh, Ugly American Alert. It's subtitled, but you know what? Don't let it. Which even I sometimes. I mean, you know, even I sometimes like. Ah, I just want to watch a movie. I don't have to read something. Come yeah. on. Really, and I, I do this very rarely, but I mean, unreservedly, no lie from me to you. I will just, I can absolutely wholeheartedly recommend it. Even if you don't think you're a, a fan of horror movies, even if you don't think, oh, I'm a fan of vampire movies or whatever, it's just such a great film. It's just fantastic. And it's not like a lot of other vampire movies. That's the thing you need to keep in mind. It's not, you know, it's not like Lost Boys or, or Twilight, whatever. God yeah, help Twilight, us. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's got a very, yeah, I mean, and there's some moments that are just like, Ooh, wow, that just that kind of creeped me out. Yeah. But I, I did. I, I saw it a, several months back. It's playing, I think, uh, I do believe it's playing at the Laurelhurst, maybe, right now. It was playing at the, what's that, Living Room Theater? It was by the Living Theaters, yeah, for It was at the Living Room, and I think now it's at Laurelhurst, and I was actually able to get a, I was able to get a copy of it, and I watched it, but it's just a... Just an astounding, beautiful film. Uh, and beauty comes in a lot of different, you know, a lot of different packages. Uh, you know, there's... Uh, you know, there's Gone with the Wind Beauty, and then there's Fight Club uh, Beauty. <laughs> and I can't. Those are the wrong examples. That was the first two things I came up. There's, um, I would say, there's. You could stay. I was going to go Gone seven. with the Wind. You know, Gone with the Wind, and then Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes, uh, but go. just just a fantastic film. I've never seen Gone with the Wind. Was yeah. it you that was talking about that? Was Dawn? No, no. Dawn was saying she'd never seen Titanic, and I was like, I've never seen Gone with the Wind. So now know. she has seen Titanic, so therefore... I'm not going to see Gone with the Wind. <laughs> see, here's the thing. It's like I feel like I don't ever need to see it because it's referenced so often that I feel like... You know what it is? It's like downloading a torrent where you're not getting it uh, you know, consecutively. You're getting all the pieces at different times. Eventually, you got the whole thing, even though you got it in random order. I feel like I've seen every single moment of Gone with the Wind depicted or shown or parodied somewhere. So in my head, the whole movie's there somewhere. It's just not put together. I had that happen with... Um, I, I can't remember what movie it was. Um, it might have been Apocalypse Now. That I, I, when I finally sat down to watch it, I was like, no, it was Repo Man. You're like, I've that seen this was, whole movie. It was Repo Man that I had never seen all the way from beginning to end. It was Apocalypse Now that I was, every time I tried to watch in college, I was always drunk or stoned, so I passed out before the end. But Repo Man, I'd never seen it all the way through in, you know, in its, con- you know, like in order. And so I, I bought it on DVD and I, I'm sitting down to watch it. This is about a year ago. And I'm thinking, I don't know that. What is this movie? This is. It was like it was literally like watching it for the first time. And then, you, have you ever seen it? Have you ever seen Repo? Not Man? seen Repo the Genetic Opera. Okay. Repo Man. No, well, Repo, different, yeah. different thing. 
It's, it's sort of the same thing because, you know, it's got repo in it's the It's insane. Yeah, yeah. So, but, yeah, you get to the end, and I was like, what is this? Yeah. And yeah, so. yeah. No, it, it's, a, it's, a, and it's just a totally bizarre experience. So, uh, all right. Um, by the way, uh, this guy says, I rented uh, The Room, which is the movie we were talking about earlier, to see what it was. I sat there enthralled, thinking it was impossible for a movie to be professionally cinema, cinematographed. Is that a word? It is now. Cinematographed. Cinematographed. Well, if there's a cinematographer, what does he do? He cinematographs. Yes, well, he photographs. Anyway, and yet be so abysmally bad in every other way, and that guy obviously thinks he's so beautiful he didn't need any attention from the makeup person. <laughs> so true. It is so amazing. And he's like, at one point he's in a jogging suit, and this pale, deformed guy with like long black ringlets and a jogging suit. like, And they're always throwing a football back and forth, too. Oh, and you're just... totally right when you said like the 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 overage overgrown goth thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Laura and I went through uh, we went through the Wednesday Thirteen show, which was on Saturday at Satyricon, and, and I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that guy. I also recognize that I am out of his probably his target demographic because the average age there, which would be, if you notice this, that the older you get, the harder it is to tell how a young how old a young person is. Oh yes, most definitely. Thirteen or twenty. I, 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 I look at Sarah and I'm like, is she like fifteen or something like that? I mean, she looks like, yeah. Like, look 15. like, shouldn't you be in high school? You know, <laughs> That's like me with like 21 year olds. Like, I still think they all look like like 12. I'm like, how? Why are you in the bar? I'm like, what? What are you doing? How here? did you get in here? That's my mm-hmm. whole thing. Or like, you ever meet somebody who's actually married? They're like, oh, and I'm expecting our first right now. And you're like, you're like nine. What yeah. do you do? <laughs> but then you realize you just you can't. The, like, the further away from it you get, you know, you get the harder it is to see it with clarity. But for the Wednesday 13 show, and I would guess the average age was. I, uh, under 18. I mean, the average age there was probably 17, maybe. I mean, 17, late teens, maybe early 20s. And so we're, like, far and away the oldest people there. But it's all, like, kind of the, you know, it's the goth kids with their, you know, with their, like, metal lunchboxes and their whatever. And, the, you know, with their stripy knee socks. And which is which is great. It's fine. I mean, but, like, Emily. Totally. Yeah. totally exactly. Exactly. Uh, like, they were all auditioning for parts for Coraline a few months ago before realizing it was not a real movie. Um but, you know, which is fine. And, and, you know, and I don't say that snarkily. I mean, every, you know, whatever. Every culture dresses its own way and every kind of music has its own style and that's fine. I also realize I'm 35 and that, that's not going to work for me. So I just don't do that. Uh, so I just wear jeans and a black T-shirt and it, it suits me fine. But um, but we're there and, and the whole thing is, is happening. And, but occasionally you do see a few people who've not gotten the goth memo. <laughs> and there's two there's two ways that that happens. With guys, it's always just that they're too old. And if you are a guy over the age of 25, you cannot wear fishnets. It's done. Burn them or give them away. When did you finally get rid of the silk shirt? So that was like 29, right? I was before I was 30. Yeah, I remember because you because you, you and I knew under... each other. Yeah. So I would have been maybe uh, uh, let's see. No, I, I knew you. Yeah. 2002. So it would have been I would have been 28, 29. Oh my God! When I met you, you were my age. Yes. Wow! <laughs> yeah. But see, note how much more together you are uh, at uh, 28 than I was at 28. Okay, 28, I was just together. Over. Come on. But I mean, you're like, I guess. Take the compliment. I'm just saying, take the compliment. Like you're, you're, like you're way, way better put together than I am. You have solved so many things in your life and uh-huh. figured out. Seriously, I don't mean to sound like your dad, but you have you have figured out so many things about yourself, even if it doesn't feel that way sometimes. And you have uh, you have understood and accepted and addressed so many things about yourself, both good and bad, both uh, both great and challenging, than I had. It took me so much longer uh, to figure out things about myself, stuff that you already know, mm-hmm. like what works for you in some ways and what doesn't well, work. I don't want to get closer to. Oh my God! It would have... Closer to thirty. Yes, closer to thirty. <laughs> I'm just like, can I still like if I want to put random color in my hair or like? Is yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yeah. 
But see, you know, and I and well, I. You can't... start to think like that too. Yeah. Well, you know, well, look... don't ever think that way. I'm here to tell you, don't. Well, you realize okay. my birthday's coming up in a couple of weeks, and I'm going to be closer to 40 than I am to 30. <laughs> On the far uh, side of 30 is what I'll be. So, you, what are you going to be, 37? You know, 36. 37. 36. <laughs> but you'll still be in your mid-30s. You don't hit your late 30s till um, 37. So is that true? Yeah, yeah. Scott Daly's in his late 30s. Yeah. Right. So, you, so I'll be 36. Right. I mean, which is... I know some good-looking, like, you know, people in their 40s who are, like, right around 40. You couldn't even tell. I, you know, the thing is, the, the I mean, nobody, you know, like, I can't wait to be 80. I, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't, I, you know, it sounds like such a lie to go, it doesn't bother me that much. I mean, it's like... I guess it, it doesn't in the way that it does bother some people. I know people who are really like, I, you know, turning 30 didn't bother me at all. And I thought it would. I thought turning 30 would just be traumatic. And it sounds so corny to say, but it was like just another year, just another birthday. It didn't. 31 was a little weird because then it's like you're in your 30s. You're in your 30s, yeah. But 30 didn't bother me. 36 is weird only because, again, you're, you're, you're sliding towards 40 at that point, which is, you know, whatever. And then and it's a fast slide. But after yeah, that, yeah, it just it becomes it's, exponential. It's like, ah, yeah, and it's uh, yeah, it's almost like you're a crash test dummy, yeah. except you're you're sentient and you see the wall coming towards you. Well, and I've talked about this that, that realizing that um, you know, looking at my birth certificate uh, for whatever I had to do, getting a passport or something, and realizing that when my dad was my age, I was already ten years old, which means I was in fifth grade. So I think back fifth grade, which I can remember pretty clear, you know, I can remember that pretty clearly, and realize my dad. When I was in fifth grade, and I can think about all the things I was going through in fifth grade, and my dad was my age, which is totally what weird you are. So, yeah, but, I mean, that's the thing. So, Sarah, I was when, – when Sarah and I met, I was the age she is now, which is just strange. I mean, it's just weird. But uh, anyway, but when you hit 25, if you're a goth guy, you've you got to know there's things you can't do. Anymore. Not like you can't be in the culture, be in the music, dress a certain way. Um, and I sometimes say this snarkily, but I mean this now with all sincerity. Our friend Gustav is like that, where he is, you know, he's kind of that what we used to call new wave guys. But, you know, he, he very much obviously is still a big fan of the music and of the kind of the culture and the vibe and the, the fashion that goes with it. But he has adjusted as, as he's aged and he's gotten older and he, he and I are about the same age. And he dresses, you know, in a, it, you know, he looks good and he looks stylish and he looks whatever, but he's not trying to look like he's, you know, going to like club confetti, at, you know. Yeah, at, you know, yeah. I, I've met him a couple of times and I've never thought, oh, God. Give he's it clinging on to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, but you see those guys at the goth show occasionally or whatever show brings them out and it, it's like. They're like 30-year-old guys with the fishnets and with the weird, like, corsety thing on. And, like, this guy with the long ringlets of hair. And you're like, oh, I should just take you up back and kill you just to put you out of your own misery. But then the, but then the female equivalent to that, it's not uh, – like, the thing about girls is, like, as women get older, a woman who is older can still do the goth thing. You can – in a certain way, you can still kind of make that work as women get more fashion latitude, period. Mm. The, the goth equivalent, though, for women – I hate that. And, you know, look, we're an inclusive show here. We're a big tent. We, we, we take everybody, and we don't, we don't pass much judgment. We pass a lot of judgment, but we try to pass judgment only in a very certain way. Here's the thing. It's not like you can't be goth, and it's not like you can't be a woman of size. But if you're going to be a goth woman of size, you really got to take a good, long, hard look at yourself before you leave to go out at night. Because you've got to wear clothing. And this is just for women, for people of this size. This is for people in general. You've got to wear clothing that fits your body type. And so we were at the, the Wednesday 13 show, and every now and again, a girl would walk by who's like, you know, like a size whatever in size, 10 sizes too small. And Laura would actually, she'd go, like, what? Like, doesn't she own a mirror? <laughs> and I would, you know... And I mean, what she didn't, like, what I think she meant, like, out of absolute sincerity, like, out of concern, like, 
maybe somebody hasn't maybe somebody hasn't told her. I mean, maybe she didn't know. Maybe maybe she's put on weight and she didn't realize it. And those are the clothes from what she used to weigh. And it's like goth girls who are you know kind of bigger. That, that still works, but you got to dress for that size. It, let me just say this, and this is one final thing. Remember, we do that. To, you know who you are. Mm-hmm. I again don't feel like I should uncork the whole thing because we just don't have time for whatever. Oh, but, but you need to because you keep doing like them sporadically, and we need the music fed. Okay, here's the thing. During the break, I'm going to tell you, Sarah okay. and David, I'll tell you guys the you know who you are that I feel like doing, and you'll tell me if it's just too much, if it's too, if it's too, if it's too mean. Um, okay. I'll I'm going to tell you during the break. Too. All right. Who's on the... Who, do we have somebody at 1? No, at uh, 205. Hey, Richie, who's on the warm line? Richie, are you in the studio screening the calls? Oh, for the love of God. Hey, if you're on the warm line, uh, I, guess, I guess Sarah will, will screen your call here in a second. All right, don't go anywhere. Back after the... We haven't done any news. <laughs> we haven't. It's past 1 and we haven't done any news. We rock. Richie, who's on the warm line? Who's on the warm line? Yeah, thanks. That's what I thought. <laughs> Jesus. Back after this. I'm just doing my, my David Walker spastic dance right Raising now. the roof? Yeah, yeah, it right. didn't look very spastic. It was kind of methodical. Uh, why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson radio program. By the way, Aaron Duran lets us know that uh, that movie, Let the Right One In, is, yes, being remade for American audiences. So, uh, who don't like to think. So, uh, go watch the original now. And I told my wife that, actually. I'm like, you got to watch this, baby, before somebody makes a terrible American version of it. Where it gets all grudged up on us. So, uh, all right. Uh, before we begin the news, this is uh, our good friend from K2, news broadcaster extraordinaire, uh, Carl Click. Hello, sir. Hey, how you guys? Hello, Carl Click. What's up, man? Well, first of all, I love the fact that I have the warm telephone line number on my speed dial, and then I can make the entire Rick Emerson show come to a stop just by dialing it. Well, just because the, okay. well, because there's a there's a finite number of people, uh, and I'm glad you're using that by the way uh, for you know your power for good. There's a finite number of people. It's not like it's nuclear launch codes or something. But there's a finite number of people who have. Uh, the direct line, we call it you know, the back line or the warm line, um, which is you know what guests call. So if like, we're going to have somebody on or if somebody really needs to get a hold of us, that's the number they get. And it's not a thing we hand out to just everybody. So you... I, feel, I feel privileged. I really do. But it's just, it, I mean, if you'd la- listen to the last few minutes of your show, that warm line was blinking and the whole thing came to stop. We had to know who was on it. Carl, if you yeah. abuse this power, you know we're going to have to change the phone number. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's it, coming in a hurry. Don't make me uh, disenfranchise you. I'll do it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, and then also Richie, I guess, was doing something else, so he wasn't there to screen the call, so it just sat there unanswered, and then you start going through the list of people that it probably could be, exactly. and wondering why they would be calling, and maybe, like, your car's on fire in the parking lot, and they just, you know, they didn't, they didn't know how else to tell you, so they just thought, they just called and let you know. What's Once up? again, that warm line power, I love it. Well, I'm, I'm listening to you guys and talking about Sarah being, uh, close to the, uh, big 3-0, and, and Rick being closer to 40 than 30, and uh, I just thought, uh, You'd like perspective from people closer to other uh, ten-digit numbers that are higher than that. Why that couldn't possibly be you, Carl Click? You uh, you you have the fresh-faced uh, appearance of youth. 
Uh, well, that's all television makeup. You know that. <laughs> that makeup they use on burn victims. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, cl- getting close to the big five zero. No. And I feel, and I, see, but I figured out, I said, the reason I don't feel that is because I listen to your show every oh, day. thank you. And it makes me feel like I'm not a day over 45. And see, and I don't mean for that to sound like a corny, like, no, because it really doesn't, I would never have guessed you were closer. I would have guessed uh, that you were in your early to perhaps mid-40s. I never would have thought that you were like uh, however old you apparently are, which is ancient. No, I- I, I, yeah, exactly. I was doing the math. You guys were talking about, you know, once you get past 47, you're, you know, you're in the late whatevers. Well, I'm in the late whatevers. And so, uh, when is your birthday going to be, Carl Click? Uh, the big four nine in July. Forty nine. Mm. So that means that uh, then next July we'll have to have some sort of soiree, uh, soiree or, or shindig for you. Uh, that's what I'm hoping for. All right. I, I, and I was, I was thinking when we were talking about, you guys were talking about age. I remember back in my college days. When we actually gave, uh, you know, one of the fraternity brothers a really bad time because he happened to, uh, you know, get, uh, well, be romantic with somebody who was in their 30s. And, and I'm thinking, <laughs> I, well, I'm just thinking now, all of us of our age now, think what we think about that now. Oh, I'm saying, so as you get older, like the sort of, like the bar sort of moves a little bit. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Hey, like, here's, okay, look, can I just ask a weird thing? I'm going to ask a weird question, and this is not just a guy question. It is a guy question, I guess, in the sense that it's like, uh, you're talking about past romantic involvements, which I think maybe is a thing that maybe guys ruminate on more than women, or maybe not, I don't know. But but did you ever do this? Did you ever think back to, and I don't know if any of us here have ever dated anybody, I mean, I have, but I don't know if anybody else, have you ever dated anybody who is substantially older than you? Carl? Uh, you know, my wife is just a few months older than me. That's the best I can do. So, but I mean, like, you didn't, like, there wasn't some, you didn't have some, uh, you know, some, like, and I was 18 and I was working on her farm baling hay. And then she came out one day in a diaphanous nightgown. And, so. Re- remember who you're talking to. I, w- I was lucky if I, uh, well, I Well, was... I, you did, I have seen those photos of you playing tennis. All right, David Walker? Now, I, I think probably maybe two, three years is the biggest age difference. I dated someone, I think she was like three years older than me. All right, Sarah Dillon? Um, when I was 18, I dated somebody who was 28. All right, wow. Well, oh, yeah. <laughs> like Carl's on mortified. No, I, I almost fell off the stool. <laughs> only wow. for a couple months. I was an adult. <laughs> I, seriously, I mean, there's nothing uh, as a, I mean. Let me just ask Sarah which, how she feels about 49. Now that <laughs> I'm going to laugh. Most, guys, well, most people that I date usually end up, tend to be around like four years older than me. Never, like, never really close to my age. Well, never mind. I guess this is just a thing that I was going to ask, and I will announce myself. So, Rick Emerson, uh, do you ever think about somebody you dated who was substantially older and how old they are now? Yes, I do, actually. Uh, I've told this story that when I was, uh, let's see, I would have been, I figured it out, I would have been 20, I would have been 20, maybe 21, and I dated a woman who was 43. And so that was, uh, what, 15 years ago, so she's, what, 58 now? So, which I guess isn't, you know, in the grand scheme of things, isn't that old. Uh, but then you, you know, but, but then you start thinking like forward in your head how like in just a couple of years she's going to be like 60. Yeah. And then, you know, it's weird to think about somebody that you've uh, been with like with a, like a biblical bee, like, you know, <laughs> that, that they're going to be in their 60s, which is just like in two years from now. So that's just that's it's a little odd to think about. It's not bad. Yeah. It's just odd. And that's almost as old as Carl Click. <laughs> I think Don Geronimo actually at one point on the old Dynamite show, they were talking about how, you know, uh, when he was a young uh, DJ, he was talking about how he'd like, you know, some hot girl would call the request line and you're like, you know, can you, can you play me uh, Terry Jack Seasons in the Sun? And he'd be like, what are you going to do for Don Geronimo for that request? And so he would like hook up with these like, you know, kind of you know, these listeners. And but he was talking about how when he was a young DJ, he was maybe, I think he was saying he was like 18 or 19. 
and he hooked up with some uh, some hot uh, listener. You know, she was like kind of an older woman. She was like forty, and he was trying to think about whether she was dead or in a nursing home. And he's like, so I wonder right now if she's just like, uh, I wonder if. Uh, I wonder if she would even remember, uh, you know, who Terry Jacks is at this point, or if she's just staring blankly out a window. And it was like this weird sort of dark conversation that is nonetheless sort of compelling, because you then you then start to fast forward in your head just a little bit to see how the novel ends for certain people. So, all right. Yep. Sooner or later, somebody will be talking to you about that as well. So. This conversation turned real dark all of a sudden. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. You know, that's just because a 50, near 50-year-old 50 got involved, and I'm leaving. Thanks no, a lot, well, you know, You're juvenile at heart, though. Don't worry about uh, it. Bye-bye. Thank you. That's Carl Click, ladies and gentlemen. All right. All right. Should we begin the news The news hour? Now's as good a time as any. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, and now, from the CBS Radio Center in downtown Portland, this is the news. All right. Well, here in Portland, two women who claimed former Portland police officer John Wood offered to let them out of a ticket if they lifted their skirts are expected to settle with the city Wednesday and receive about $50,000 each. The best part of the story is, I mean, I'm, I'm going to skip the whole wood thing. Yeah. The best part <laughs> is that his first name, that he's actually offering, he's offering something in exchange, you know, he wants something in exchange for sex, and his first name is John. So that's fantastic as well. In July of 2006, <laughs> I was trying not to laugh, it's just John Wood, it is, it's very amusing I mean, it is, to know, me too, but I think you and I are... It's the low-hanging fruit, but that's okay. Yeah, we're, we're both sort of... got to eat. Uh, in July of 2006, investigators say Officer Woods saw the two women outside a southeast Portland bar and later stopped them on Interstate 205 as they were driving home. I'm going to bet it was Copper Penny, but it might not be. I don't know. They said they told them... Oh, the error rats out there, too. <laughs> they said they told him if they didn't show him their underwear, he would arrest the driver for driving under the influence. That's that's basically the whole story. Uh, Wood pleaded guilty to two counts of official misconduct in 2006 and resigned. There was an investigation. Turned out he did that with a third woman. Apparently his favorite movie of all time is The Bad Lieutenant. <laughs> there, um, and I'm I'm also intrigued that it's just that it's just the underwear. Yeah. I mean I'm not saying you know obviously it's wrong period, but I mean it, 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 like it would almost but you know in a weird <laughs> but you see what like it would almost make more sense in a way if it's like hey give me a little nookie Jimmy and. Uh, Seriously, well, and it's, but it's okay. like just uh, I just want to see the inside of your left elbow. But you see know? what it, this is. This is this is how it starts. He did it. He had done it three times, and if he had gotten away with it, like maybe a fourth time, then it would have been like. You then know, it escalates. Yeah, it's like, then it's show yeah. me your bra. Then it's show me your bra and your and your underwear at the same time. Yeah. Then it's uh. Then can I, I see your bare feet or something like that? <laughs> yes. Whatever strange things there are. <sighs> well, it's like that dentist we were talking about yesterday. If it has fourteen counts of. Uh, of assault because he was trying. To, he was telling women he was trying to help their teeth by massaging their uh, bosoms. That well, wasn't that my idea. I I think I had an idea like that <laughs> one, didn't I? I don't know. Well, when you say it, when you say it, it sounds even creepier than when I thought it. So I guess I, Sarah, I have to apologize for a couple weeks ago. I think I said something about massaging women's breasts. That you, you did out. say yeah. that. You did say that. What was it about? The last time you were here was last week. I was forgot all about no, that. I think it was two weeks ago. But you were on the show and you were talking about how you wanted to have. You wanted to offer some sort of service where there was like a homeopathic or medicinal value to be gained from the massaging of the dirty pillows. Yeah. You yeah, yeah. did say that. That's I forgot it. all about it. Yesterday, Schmidtke was talking about this dentist who took a bus. He was like, look, uh, there's a, you, have a, you have an impacted bicuspid. You'll need to take off your bra. Yeah. Like 14 different times. Yeah. So, right. And the, the fact of the matter is, is that they get away with these sort of things. Yes. And you just think, like, I don't know. That just doesn't seem, uh, well, anyway. All right. A Long Island man doused his drinking buddy with tequila and set him on fire, all because the guest 
You're not supposed to laugh yet. You ready? I'm sorry. You're not supposed to waste tequila. <laughs> Here's the punchline. All because the guest refused to go home, police said. <laughs> <laughs> well, now he's never going home. What's uh, the point of that? No, he's still alive, isn't he? Yeah, I can't, I can't pronounce this guy's first name, so we'll just call him Ed. Ed Garcia, 24, and his pal were knocking back shots of El, El Jimador tequila at Garcia's Westbury home when the suspect told his guest to go home at 3 a.m. Sunday, said NASA Detective Sergeant Richard Dorsey. Garcia wanted to get out, but the victim wanted to stay and sleep it off. So he set his friend on fire. That reminds me of that uh, that old Saturday Night Live bit with John Belushi, the thing that wouldn't leave. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm going to watch. Uh, do you have cable? Do you have any more chips? Do you, re- you really must not like your friend if you do that, because usually what you do is you just you let them pass out and you put their hand in a bowl, of water. bowl of water. Yeah. yeah. Or write on them with a Sharpie. Take pictures with but your... The thing about setting him on fire, like, I don't even know. So does it say the friend was passed out? Uh, yeah, the the friend was, well, he wasn't passed out for long. I mean, <laughs> I suppose that's true. I wonder what his dream was. I wonder if he had a dream that he was standing next to something hot. <laughs> he had a dream he was in a Nelly video. <laughs> it's getting hot in here. <laughs> I had the strangest dream. It's like I was covered in fire ants. Then it was just fire. It was the strip. Ah! <laughs> uh, wow. And, you know, the weird thing about that, too, is that, like, if, you, if, you, if your ear takes your friend won't leave... The answer isn't to set him on fire because then it's just more of your time you got to take up because then you got to, you know, then you got to put out the fi- the, the carpet, you got to then you got to you know you got to use the extinguisher on the couch, then you got to call the fire department. I mean, it's just nothing but work, work, work. Well, see, there's two problems with what you're doing right now. You're thinking it through, and you're sober. And I'm not drunk. Yeah, All exactly. Right. So, All right. Uh, this one, Sarah handed me this one last week, so I, I, I'm going to get around to this one. Um, a woman or a man accused of assaulting a Fayetteville woman was taken into custody Tuesday after being released from Robeson County Jail. Jackie Jr. McNair, 34, is charged with first-degree burglary, assault with a deadly weapon, and conspiracy, according to a release from the Cumberland County Sheriff's Office. In August, McNair forced his way into the home of his former girlfriend who lived in Topeka Heights neighborhood off Camden Road. It is alleged she damaged two vehicles belonging to the woman and then hurled an unopened can of soda that hit her in the head. The release said he attacked a woman with a can of soda. What's with the people in the throwing? I don't understand. But I'll tell you, you know, that's it's he was charged with assault with a deadly weapon. I don't know if a can of soda is really deadly unless it's frozen. I don't know. That's pretty durable. Well, no, you need like a whole. uh, You'd have to hit somebody with the edge. You need a pillowcase full of them, (laughs) sort of like. (laughs) Pillowcase full of soda. Like Sean Penn in Bad Boys. Remember that movie? Yes. When he beats, I think it's, is it, no, it's not Isai Morales, he, he works over with the pillowcase full of soda cans. I'm just, a pillowcase full of sodas is like a, it's like a Volkswagen full of clowns or like a murder of crows. It's a yeah. pillowcase of sodas. Yeah. But no, you, because if you hit him with the broad side of the can, uh, it's just gonna probably, the, the seal will break and it'll pop open. Yeah. Uh, and then the pressure will be lost and then, then you're gonna be basically beating somebody with an empty can. Uh, you'd have to beat them with either the bottom or the top edge because that's where there's gonna, not gonna be any give. But that's one of those things, like, you'll hear about that occasionally where somebody will use something that they think. This is why, now look, in addition to the fact that it's illegal and immoral and wrong and makes you a jackass, this is why uh, you shouldn't ever just devolve to the point of solving things with violence. Tempting as it might be, and as much as some people might richly deserve a savage beating, and let's not pretend that there aren't people who don't deserve beating. There are people who deserve beating, 
and then letting them rest just enough so that they can feel the pain again, and then they just beat, 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 them, beat them all yeah. over again. You, yeah, you stop just for them to re, just long enough for them to regain consciousness. Then you beat them a whole lot more. Then maybe you take lunch. I like the cut of your jib, Mister Emerson. <laughs> I mean, this, these are just facts as we see them. Um, but the reason you don't want to do it is there's all these stories where you're beating somebody with something that you think is a non-lethal weapon. But then they turn their head in just the right way, yeah. or it's at just the wrong angle, and then suddenly you got one dead guy in your living room, and then it's like a whole lot of what do I do with this, and where's my lime? So one of the things is like I was at a um, I was at a a, a a dance or sock hop of some kind when I was a youth. I was a teenager, and we were at some we were at some some church gathering where like kids get together and they dance you know just close enough to frustrate you but not close enough to actually uh you know to get the cop a feel or anything and for decorations they had hung a bunch of 45s from the ceiling uh and so like all these 45 records that they just looped string through and they'd hung them from the rafters of the church recreation center whatever the hell it was and i remember after uh the dance some of us stuck around to like i don't know i guess we were helping to clean up or to tear everything down or whatever so it's like me and a couple of my friends were like and i think there was like some girl that was kind of what we used to call, we we used to have this term that she was a KS, uh, and her girl was a K, which is not, it's in, like in, it's like so non-witty, it's like the least witty thing on earth. If she was a KS, it was just like she was a known slut. And the thing about it is, <laughs> oh, really? Like the thing about a girl in high school who's a known slut is it's never true. I mean, the girl that you are always told, like, that girl's totally a slut. She'll put up for anybody. Like, it's never true. It's and always that, the super preppy girls who would, like... Um, that you wouldn't suspect that really totally. Yeah. And then in the retrospect, in retrospect, don't you always feel bad because you at the time you don't know any better. You're 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 you know it's not even just that you're a kid. It's like you're just as Steven Tyler would say, you're in the painting, so you can't see the painting, so you don't realize what's going on until later. But just like later, you realize that like so and so that you went to school with was probably drunk half the time, and so and so you went to school with was probably gay, and so and so was whatever. You look back and you realize that so-and-so probably didn't bang 500 guys. That was just like a high school urban legend that you were just too dumb to figure out, and so you just passed it along. You were part of the you were part of the viral chain for that urban legend about some poor girl who was just known to have like taken on a whole hockey team, even though you realize now that was just stupid. Um, but there was this girl that we thought was a known slut, and so we hung out after the uh, after the church dance to help clean up because she was there. And then it's like at that age, you also don't even know why you're hanging out. Like, what were we thinking? She was like, take us all on in the back room. That's clearly not going to happen. Like, what were we thinking was, like, like as a boy, you don't even know. You just want to be around the girl, even though you don't really know what steps B through Z even are. All of a sudden, she's like, okay, I'm getting into hump mode now. Yeah, it's like it's like it's like the whole underpants gnomes thing. Like step one, underpants. Step three, profit. And like two is just a bunch of question marks. Um, but we were hanging out and taking all these 45s down that had been hung from the rafters as decoration for the dance. And we were like putting them all in a pile so we could put them back in a box. And somebody had the bright idea like, hey, I'll toss it at the guy like it's a Frisbee. So, hey, Steve, here's a 45. And like tossed the 45 like a Frisbee. And it was at just the right angle and at just the right speed that it caught Steve Carter and just laid his forehead open like it was an exacto knife. Ooh. I mean, which you wouldn't think is really, I mean, yeah, it has an edge, but it's sort of a blunt edge. But it was at just the wrong angle, and it just cut his forehead open like a like a five inch cut, and it just bled like an mf'er. I mean, just like nobody's business. That's why you don't ever give somebody a beating, because they're gonna turn their head and they're gonna trip and they're gonna fall. It just like every time you go down the stairs into your basement, you're like, I'm gonna trip and fall, and I'm gonna be paralyzed, and nobody's gonna find me for like three days. Every single time I walk into my basement, I think that. I'm like, if there's a... Because Laura leaves crap on the stairs, shoes, towels, and then your dog light bulbs. 
Yeah, and I'm going to be walking down. Now I'm going to take these things into the... And I'm going to fall, and I'm going to break my neck. So that's the, that's why you don't beat somebody with a soda can, because you might accidentally kill them. So don't do that. You can't even beat them with a pillow. No, yeah, no. Because you could... Because you could hit them in the eye just away, and they fall. And oh man! Can I tell you this? Can I tell? You? Here's one one story, and then we'll break. Because uh, I got I got to get me some caffeine. Um, when I was a kid, I almost uh, I almost stabbed my brother's eye out. I almost gouged out his eye with a pen, totally by accident. Um, and I came one of those things that is horrifying in retrospect. And if he's listening, sorry, dude. Uh, but I. <laughs> Uh, he listens just often enough that I feel like I have to sort of say that I have to give that sort of Does apology. Does he live in town? No, but his wife, his wife's family lives here, and he lives in Washington, but he comes through Portland, and I know he listens online uh, occasionally. But anyway, so... I, I don't let my parents listen, <laughs> or anybody in my family. I tell them not to, but you know how it is with people. You, They don't yeah. do what you tell them. I mean, some I order people to do things, and they, you know... I order Richie... To screen calls and that doesn't happen. <laughs> That's so. the freakiest when, yeah, when someone's driving through town and you don't know it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you're like, hey, I listened to your show today. And you're like, oh, God, what did I say? I it's like when I meet listeners, they'll go, I called your show once and I go, oh, God, did I hang up on you? I'm so, did I call you a jackass? But um, when my brother and I were kids, we, you know, we'd roughhouse, we'd play grab ass, as boys do. And um, I remember I was like doing something or other. I forget exactly how it came, this, how the situation came to pass. But I was like hiding like under the bed or something or like, you know, whatever. Like, we were playing maybe, like, we're playing, like, hide-and-go-seek or something, some some such game. And I'm hiding under the bed, and for some reason I had a ballpoint pen in my hand, and I don't remember why. But I think maybe I was hiding, and I, I didn't realize he'd snuck up on me. And so the next thing I know, I'm under the bed, but my brother is, like, lunging at me from, like, you know, outside in the bedroom. And he's, like, lunging at me with, like, he had something he was, like, punching me with. Like, he had, a he had a, a, like, a stick or something. He, like, hit me with a stick. And I'm hiding under the bed, and you know you're just flailing and doing that, like I'm punching and sort of slap fighting back and forth at each other. And we're like, I couldn't have been more than like nine, and he must have been like five maybe. And I had a ballpoint pen in my hand, which I didn't really realize. And I just kind of went to punch him with my with my right hand, and I heard this like, Hah! and he like pulls back, and um, sort of like the T1000 pulling back out of the elevator. And and I, I looked out, and later it freaks me out even now to think about it that I had kind of punched him. And I thought I punched him, but what I had actually done is the tip of the pen had caught the like uh, uh, between his eye and his nose, so it was like by your tear duct. Oh! And it wasn't the actual tear duct because that would be gross and weird. This was just terrifying. It was like this. I would say it was about half an inch. It was a half inch, like like a cut, I guess, is for back of lack of a better word. Like a, a big, deep, scrapey cut that I had made with the tip of the pen um, parallel to his nose. In other words, it was a vertical thing all the way down, but like so close to his eye that it was just freaky. And it like broke the skin. Like it was a cut. And I realized like if it had been just like a fraction of an inch, it would have been like right into his eye. And like he'd be, you know, like one lens too many at that point. So that freaks you out. So I got I got hit in the eye with a boomerang. Oh, kid no. And uh, was in the hospital probably for like, you know, this was in the 70s. So I was in the hospital for, I think, my mom would be able to, to, to confirm this. I think it was like almost two weeks. They thought I was going to lose the eye and, and everything. It oh. was really, it was one of those, and it was, you know, it, was, it wasn't even a real boomerang. It was one of those. It was like, like a Nerf boomerang. Yeah, it was like a, a thing you got out of the store. And this kid was like, hey, and I turned around, he threw it at me. Oh, whack. Oh. So, yeah, those are those, are those things. So it ha that's your parents say, hey. You can poke an eye out. Poke out an eye, you know. Jesus. That's and that's that's yeah. It, you think about some of the crazy stuff you did as a kid, and 
you know. Well, like that, my brother and I used to just jump off the roof of the house. Yeah. For no reason. Why? Because let's <laughs> climb up on top of the house and jump off onto the lawn, which it's grass, but, you know, underneath the, that grass, grass doesn't real, really cushion anything. Underneath that grass is, like, dirt and, like, you know, the earth. And so we would just jump off the, the house for, like, no reason. Like, where, where, where were our parents? Why were my parents not stopping that? I, I remember taking a rope one time and tying it between these two trees in the backyard. And then <laughs> me and my cousin going, okay, let's see what happens if we ride our bikes as fast as we can oh into the rope. And my oh, cousin dear. hit the rope at his throat. And it was like oh, he flew off the wow. bike, and he's laying there crying. Oh my God, at least he wasn't decapitated. Okay, and no, this is where it gets better. And I'm sure my mom's listening to this oh right now. Oh, my God. Like, after that, we, we, we freak out. He stops crying. And then we both go, my turn. And so then, so what I did is, you know how when you're on your bike, sometimes you, like, rise up so you're not yeah. on the seat? So I did that so it wouldn't hit me in the throat. So it hit me mid-chest. Right. And it was still one of the most painful things because... You know, the bike shoots out from under. Yeah, so, I mean, kids are, it's amazing that, like, you know. That you're not dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This isn't on, this isn't on, the, I'll tell one more, then we'll break and get caught up here. This isn't on that same level, because it, it wasn't going to kill me, but it's like one of those moments that I can remember with crystal clarity. I had, I was on the, uh, I was outside in our backyard, and I think my mom had been making me do, we had a big yard, and, and a big garden and whatever, and so I was always having to, like, like pick vegetables or, like, mow the lawn or do something or other, and so I was always going to do yard work, and it was always freaking hot because it's Kennewick and it sucks, and just, and I was exhausted, and I, I was maybe 11 or 12, so my brother was, like, 6 or 7, maybe a little younger, uh, but I remember falling asleep, and I very rarely do this, but I fell asleep just, like, laying on the grass. Like, I think I'd mowed the lawn, and then I'm like, oh, I'm done mowing the lawn, I'll lay down on the, on the grass, and I laid down on my back, and I fell asleep and I fell asleep with my mouth wide open. Always the beginning to a great story. And I fell asleep literally, just, uh, just fell asleep with my mouth wide open. Just I think it was just so exhausted. And my younger brother, he must have been, I hope for his sake, he was really young, because otherwise he was just evil. I hope he was young enough not to realize how awful this was. But I fell asleep on my back with my mouth wide open. And my brother just went over to the, to the garden and just got a huge handful of just like really moist soil. And just came over and just went, boom, and just packed it into my mouth and, like, filled my mouth immediately. Like, not a little bit of a time, at a time. Like like a cupcake of dirt. Exactly, but, like, both his hands, like, enough to completely fill my mouth, like, from the back of my throat, like, to my lips. And just all at once went, like, boom, and just shoved it, like, sealed up my mouth. And I'm all, and, of course, what do you do? You immediately inhale, because you're like, I'm not getting any air. Got to inhale harder. And then I just sucked all this dirt into my lungs. I can remember that moment like you little bastard. I can remember that moment like it was yesterday. And my I got to tell you this, that's one of those moments where you're glad your parents are there because I can't remember if I actually caught him or if I had, was just chasing him when my mom saw me. And I must have had a look on my face that was not a boys will be boys look. I must have had a look like I'm going to beat you until you are a bloody dead pulp. You know, I'm going to beat you to dust. All I remember was just thinking, like, I'm going to find you, and I'm going to beat you until you can never stand again. Like, and that was just the whole, like, it was just like, you know, I know it's just the, the worst thing. So, goddamn, kids uh, are just... Uh, to be young again. And it's not even like kids are dumb, and it's not like they're crazy. Like, when you're a teenager, you're, kin like, clinically, chemically crazy. That's the thing about teenagers. Like, you're actually chemically insane. When you're a kid, it's sort of like a little kid is the opposite. It's just that your synapses have not really formed. Yeah. It's just that not everything's connected yet, which I don't mean in an insulting way. Kids are smarter than we give them credit for in some ways. It's just that, like, some of the processing isn't quite online yet. 
Like some of the systems, some of the grids haven't quite switched on. You know what I mean? So, all right, we'll take a break. Back after this. And then when we come Walker. back uh, on, on the other side of the break, I'll play the trailer. Oh, yeah, we'll play the trailer from this terrible movie, The Room. The Room. Excellent. I have it all queued up. So, right By the way, apparently that guy's working on a TV series right now. Yes. All right, stay there. Back after this. The Rick Emerson Recap, here at mornings at 10 a.m., followed by The Rick Emerson Show until 3 p.m., only on AM 970. The- Hi. Wait, are we back? Yeah, sorry, I was getting coffee. How long has there been dead air, do you suppose? I think a couple seconds. That's great. Okay. Okay, so what are we about to hear, Sarah? All right, so this is the um, like two-minute trailer for The Room. This is The Room. This is the movie you watched last night, which you said yes. is abysmal. by uh, Tommy Wiseau. It is... Oh. Wissou. Tommy Wissou. Because he, he's an artiste. Oh, my God. It's amazing. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, one of the worst films ever made. A perfect world. These are for you. Thanks, honey. They're beautiful. A perfect life. I would do anything for my girl. I love you, Lisa. I love you, Johnny. He provides for you. Darling, you can't support yourself. I don't love him anymore. He didn't get his promotion. And he got drunk last night. And he hit me. It's not true. I did not hit her. Well, maybe you should have a girl, Mark. Yeah. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe I have one already. I don't know yet. We can't do this anymore. Johnny's my best friend. This will be our secret. Don't worry. You can trust me. We are expecting! I'm your future husband. You sure about that? Please talk to me, please! You're having an affair with Lisa, aren't you? I need more from life than what Johnny can give me. It's really She's awful so sounding. She can't love anyone. There is no baby. I told them that to make it interesting. She's such a manipulative witch. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting our friendship. Wow. I treat you like a princess. And you stab me in the back. You are tearing me apart, Lisa! <laughs> And this is like the, the bad a film with the passion of Tennessee Williams, directed by Tommy Wiseau. The best movie of the year. Not cited. Experience this quirky new black comedy. Also it's not a riot. Not cited. I don't believe it's a riot. I don't believe. I think he may be overselling the film somewhat. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Here you go. And now, from the CBS Radio Center in downtown Portland, this is the news. Wow. All right. Well, I'd like to move into Sarah handed me this today, and she was very upset that this hasn't been ready yet. It's so been like a month. It's been like a, uh, no. It has. Has it been a month? Has it? I think it's no. It hasn't. It's weeks. only. It's only been a couple of weeks. Why? Wow, okay. your, your sense of time is off. Uh, I'm skewed, dude. But, but <laughs> so this is. This is. You ready for the Jackson watch? Here's your Jackson watch for Thursday. Ready for this? Yes. One of pop star Michael Jackson's brothers, Marlon, is involved in a controversial plan to develop a, and I'm not sure how much this is, this is, it says 3.4 some sort of 
billion. I don't think it's really a billion. That can't be right. But it's a lot of money. A 3.4 lot of money slavery memorial and luxury resort in Batagri, Nigeria. An historic slave port is to be transformed through a bizarre combination of a slave history theme park and a museum dedicated to double Grammy-winning pop soul group, the Jackson 5. Wait a sec. Let me read that again, because I think you might have thought I misread that. The historic slave port is to be transformed through a bizarre combination of a slave history theme park and a museum. Wow. That means a combination of a slave history theme park. And a museum dedicated to the double Grammy-winning pop soul group, the Jackson Five. Do you want me to keep reading? That, you you got to keep reading because I I'm not, I can't say anything. The idea There's is that nothing the, I could say at this point that wouldn't be uh, yeah. The idea is that the band will help attract African American tourists keen to trace their roots back to Nigeria. Visitors will be able to see the route their ancestors walked, shackled together as they were whipped through the point of no return. And then also hear Tito Jackson sing. Then they can return. Then they can retire to their five-star hotel to drink cocktails by the pool. Visitors will be able to pay their respects to the site of the mass grave for those who died before boarding ships to cross the Atlantic. And then Jermaine Jackson can sing. Uh, can sing that. Uh, and then travel a few yards in a buggy to play a round of golf. And then see the snake that Latoya wrapped herself in nude while in Playboy. That's right. That's right. Um, Critics are dismissing the project as a cynical money-making scheme inappropriate for the subject of such seriousness as the transatlantic slave trade. It's like dancing on the graves of dead people and telling them you're honoring them. And apparently they watched the thriller video one too many times and thought it was okay to be dancing on graves. It's like moonwalking on the graves of your ancestors. That's right. So... As if we didn't have enough proof that the Jacksons are cuckoo for cocoa. Pops. Why did this? Why does this story exist? How did this come to? Uh, well, the lovely how? Sarah X. Dillon found this. And, I, you know, found, I don't mean like. And, and I got to tell you, <laughs> this, I'm not asking like who found the story on the internet. I know the answer to that. Uh, I, why is this happening? I, is this like? Let me ask you this. Do you suppose is it this? Is it that? I'm just speculating now. This is where Nigeria. Nigeria, yes. Is that, that, that's the country where we get those emails from, where they want you to launder your money. Uh, greetings, my name is King. Yeah. Uh, did you ever hear the woman from Sweet Home? She was actually like us, actually. Of all people, had her on for like an hour. The woman from Sweet Home who sent four hundred grand no, over there. No. She was like, well, it seemed legitimate at the time, and from Sweet Home, the Morgan. one person who had sucked <laughs> yes. into the. And Nigeria. she's from Timmy Ryan's hometown, of course, and of the course. home of Morgan Grace. Uh, four hundred grand, like us, had her on, and like, and she. The thing is, she didn't sound overtly. Stupid. Dumb or crazy. She, she sounded, and like us, you could, he was actually trying to be very, and you know, to his credit, he was trying to be very, he was legitimately trying to figure out why she would do this. And he's like, but I don't understand. Didn't, like, did you not, didn't it seem odd? He was like, well, I mean, it just, I looked it up on the internet and there were lots of people talking about it and how, you know, it's a real place. And he's like, well, it's a real place. But <laughs> what, Nigeria? You, yeah. But uh, anyway, but is it, do you suppose the thing is this? Do you suppose the thing that, like in Nigeria, they have been wanting to do this, this historical, you know, this this sort of, you know, a museum or you know, the you know, a place to sort of, you know, honor, you know, you know, some of the, you know, some of the the folks who, you know, you know, died during the slave trade, and really to give, you know, to give a voice to the voiceless and all that stuff, but they just didn't have the money, and so then it's like you have to, you know, and then like your primary financier falls through, 
And it's sort of like, you know, it's sort of like when the bank won't lend you any more money and then you got to go, like, talk to a guy in an alley with a trench coat on and he goes, well, okay, the VIG is 85%. Like, they couldn't get money anywhere else. So finally, I know, the Jacksons. And the Jacksons maybe said, well, look, we'll do it. Here are the strings. And the strings are like, you must put up a museum honoring Tito. See, I, I think it might have been the other way around. I think, like, the Jacksons were probably thinking they wanted to get their own museum going and they were just like, well, where can we go? What can we do? And... Like I got to be really careful as I recount this, but I was I was once involved in a situation with members of the Nigerian mafia, and they were some of the scariest people I have ever met in my life. These guys that I was dealing with, and I didn't realize it at the time. It was one of those moments in your life where you're like, "Oh wait a minute, I'm in the wrong place at the wrong right. time. How did I get here?" Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was one of those moments, and so, and the scam that I was caught up in was so bizarre and outrageous that. Um, yeah, I could just see the Jacksons, you know, sitting around trying to figure out how they can get funding for their museum. And, you know, so probably like the Icelandic Whale Fat Museum, you know, they didn't want to partner up with the Jacksons. And so they just sort of went down the long list. And then Nigeria was trying to figure out how to, you know, attract tourists. Nigeria's figuring, you know, like what's, uh, you know, like what, what, is, what is next to, re, to refashion our image for the world? Yeah, exactly. Because right now I would say that in the popular culture, at least in America, I might be wrong about this, but I think in the American popular, in the cultural consciousness, I would say that the thing about those like those Nigerian, you know, those email scams is, I mean, because everyone uses the internet, everyone gets email, everyone has gotten those spam, and, and, and because of the viral nature of communication on the internet and the fact that things like the sham wow immediately go from never having been heard of to being known by everybody those things are really like doing nigeria no favors because that country if you were yeah. to like google the mind of the average american and see like the frequency with which nigeria comes up related to other search terms it's going to be because of that scam going on yeah. so they got to be trying to like re you know to, to reposition themselves in any way possible so so a combination slavery theme park and and Jackson 5 museum and the slavery theme park just makes me think of that old Saturday night another Saturday night live sketch with uh Eddie Murphy and and Stevie Wonder which was uh Slaveland <laughs> and it was literally wow. you guys don't remember I don't think one? I saw that I think um, I'd remember that. Yeah, Stevie Wonder was the host, and it was, come on down to Slaveland. <laughs> <You just, laughs> I'm sure that there's a clip on it. We'll have to look for it on, like, God Almighty or something like that. Well, you know, that. that's like the, um, um, the, the uh, our, our friend Clyde Lewis, he has this, he has this phrase he uses, which which is, you know, obviously ridiculous, but it's a phrase to talk about how, over time, history History exaggerates some things and minimizes others mm -hmm. to the point of just where they're not even recognizable or they become or they lose the essence of what made them what they were. And a lot of times, you know, it's an old thing that comedy, you know, tragedy plus time equals comedy, whatever. But his whole thing is that, like over time, things that are legitimately just unfathomably awful become either innocuous or some weird funhouse mirror version of themselves where they're actually sort of like wacky mm -hmm. and the phrase he always uses he's always you know in a thousand years there's going to be like a hitler breakfast cereal because that's his whole thing about like people can't people just lose they lose the memory you know and through history of what they most and the day that this was proven correct was the day that i read that they are opening in i believe actually in romania they're opening a dracula theme park where it's like disneyland but it's like draculaville and you go there and there's like a dracula roller coaster <laughs> And there's like a Dracula, like, you know, there's like a, a Dracula, like, you know, haunted house ride. And there's like Dracula snow cones. And, you know, like all the food is fantastic. <laughs> and he was noting that, like, Dracula is based on Vlad Dracul, 
who was the dictatorial ruler of Romania, who impaled people alive on spikes and then ate them. Yeah. And I mean, thousands of people. And they talk about how occasionally there would be, I forget who, I, I forget who their enemy was at this time. It was like the Turks, I think. But like how the Turks were like coming to Romania to like, we're going to go beat their asses. And, and, they, and they, the, as the story goes, and it may be apocryphal, but the legend is that as the Turks were coming toward Romania, they turned back. And the reason they turned back is that Vlad Dracul, Vlad the Impaler, as, as history now knows him, to demonstrate the might of the Romanian Empire, he had taken a thousand enemies and political prisoners and like just people who looked at him the wrong way. And he had had them all impaled on spikes, like, you know, still alive, like, you know. And then he had had them put, like, telephone poles lining the road that led to the heart of, like, Romaniaville or wherever yeah. that was. And he, so the story is that, like, as the Turks are invading, they're like, what's that up ahead? I think they're telephone poles. But, you know, but those don't exist. It doesn't matter. Go on. And then they realized that it was just thousands of people impaled on stakes, and they were all like, Oh, wrong country to invade. Let's go home. And you wonder, you have to wonder how far down the road did they get? Did they get, they're like, you know, they get past like the first like 50 guys and they're like, okay, he's, yeah, he, this guy's, he, he, he's, he's high strung. He, yeah, he, he's bluffing. <laughs> he's bluffing. And then around the 400th impale guy, they're like, hey, dude, I think, uh, I got a bad feeling about this. Let's go home. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, so the, so that guy inspired Bram Stoker to create Dracula, and now there is now a Dracula theme park. And so everything over time gets reduced. To, and by the way, just just on the Jackson side of things here, this Jackson uh, theme park or museum or whatever, I'm just I'm picturing it's like the Hall of Presidents, you know, where it's like the crude repeating anim, animation with the animatronic, yeah. like "Welcome to the Hall of Presidents," except it's that sequence in the Pepsi commercial where Jackson's hair catches on fire, and so it's just like a. And then it runs around in like a crude little choreographed thing and then goes back to the beginning and it recycles about every 18 seconds just over and over again as you're, as you're going by in like one of those little like Indiana Jones mine cars. But when you think about it, if there's ever a family that deserved their own museum, it would have to be the Jacksons. Oh, yeah. Because they are just about the most they, – they, they embody everything that's wrong and right about America. They are, uh, so. they are both sides of the American dream. Them and the Wilson family. You know, them and Brian Wilson and all of his – I mean, it's the same thing. It's just uh, – oh, let's uh, – on the um, before we close it out, let's uh, welcome to – oh, I'm sorry. I picked up the wrong – Richie, what am, I, what am I doing here? This, am I picking up line two? I guess not. We'll never – was somebody going to weigh in on Michael Jackson, but I guess that's not going to happen. All right. Uh – I'll just tell you what happened. So I looked and it said on the board that a Storm was calling about Michael Jackson. And then I saw that line two was busy because Richie was talking to her for an extended period of time. And then the line went away. So I guess Richie, I guess Richie's done with her or whatever. All right. There's your Jackson watch uh, for Thursday. A little round object in his mouth. <laughs> it was delicious. Oh, wrong. God Almighty. Let's do uh, one more here and we'll take a break and we'll play something a little special into the break here that I've got over here. Well, I know we just came out of a watch, but I got to go into. We can do it. Watch. You make you are the law, David Walker. Which one's you? Like in Mega City One. Exactly. I'd like to do a corpse watch, please. Uh, here's your corpse watch for Thursday on the Rick Emerson Show. I'm digging up bones. I'm digging up bones. Zooming things that's better left alone. I'm resurrecting. 
This watch theme was Bruce Agler's idea, by the way. I don't think I've ever given him credit. He's totally the one who came up with this song for the Corpse Watch. Here's David Walker with your Corpse Watch. Birmingham, Alabama. A funeral director accused of leaving a woman's body to decay in a parked hearse after her relatives failed to pay the bill was arrested on a felony charge of abusing a corpse, police said, yesterday. This isn't like two, three weeks old. This is yesterday, people. Fresh news. This is breaking news. Watson and Son's funeral home embalmed the remains of Edna Kathleen Woods, 52, after she died of natural causes in November 2007, said Gadsden Police Sergeant Jeff Wright. Relatives wanted the body cremated but failed to sign the necessary paperwork or pay owner Harold Watson Sr., he said. Well, wait, so does that mean when you uh, when they take the body, do they then legally take possession of the body? Does the corpse belong to them? Even if you don't pay, it's like it's their problem then to deal with? Well, this isn't this article isn't very clear, but what is clear is that after storing the corpse at his funeral home for more than a year, uh, Wright said uh, the 76-year-old Watson uh, decided to move it because he couldn't reach the woman's family. Okay, it gets a little better though. But I, a year? Yeah, yeah. So he had it in, you know, he had it in, a, in like a fridge or something like that, Ugh, some sort of storage. Right. Someone complained about a foul smell near downtown Gadsden, about 60 miles northeast of Birmingham, and officers on Tuesday found a woman's remains in a cardboard box that was inside a locked hearse parked on a piece of property that Watson owns. Do I need to read any more? I mean. So this is just a, like more of that no one really knows how to get rid of a body. So he, fig- he fortunately for him, he owned a piece of property. And he yeah. put it in a box, in a car, on a piece of land that didn't really have anybody else around. But over time, the stench was still yeah. enough that people went, what's that? But he's the, he's the funeral director. He, he, he could have he burned the body. I guess he could have just eaten the cost on that. Yes, right? he could have. I guess he could have just said, that's on the house. I'll comp you. That's right. I mean, you know, McDonald's throws out stuff that people don't buy or take care of all the time um but apparently and that's after 10 minutes yeah but apparently there's the and you know what it is to quote big worm in friday it's the principality you got a body sitting around and someone's supposed to pay for it and he didn't you know he felt like oh well, well because look you give him an inch yeah you know he, this is what he thought and i'll do it my best alabama accent well i'll be damned if i'm going to do something about that body if they don't pay me money i'm just going to put it in a box and put it in my car and the thing is, this like is, you're punishing yourself though yeah, by putting a rotting corpse in your car. work for you later on. Yeah. Because what I understand, what I understand from watching episodes of CSI is that a rotting corpse, the stench is really hard to get rid of. Yes. And it was in his car. I mean, at that's least, cutting off your uh, cutting off your whole head, really, to yeah. bite your face. Yeah. So that's that's our corpse wash. Well, do you remember? Was it in the? It was, you know, it's always the South. Do you remember? Wasn't it in the South in Georgia or someplace where there was that? You know, people have already. You know, it's this culture it just. It, it must be really hard to be like a serial killer. I'm not saying this guy's a serial killer, but to, for example, to be a serial killer now, because like back when media was a lot slower, you kill five or six people and say you're notorious. Charles Manson killed no one. Yeah, I mean people don't realize yeah. that Charles yeah. Manson never killed anybody ever, and yet he's notorious. One of the world's most notorious serial killers never killed anybody. And then meanwhile, you got that BTK killer in Wichita who was like a legitimately terrifying and oh, freaky that guy. guy. Freaky with dead eyes. But you know what? Most people don't even know who he is. You go up and go, hey, uh, do you know who uh, you know who the BTK killer is? And they go, no. And you go, Dennis Rader? And they go, no. And you go, all right, never mind. I mean, and he killed like scores of people, photographed himself in his own basement wearing their clothes while putting on makeup and dressed like a woman with a camera he rigged to photograph, like he'd pull a string and it would photograph him on a box dressed as a woman wearing clothes from his victims. Over like 25 years. Oh, and he was also a church leader and a Boy Scout leader. 
That's effed. <laughs> People don't even know who he is. So, like, with it, here's how fast the culture moves. Do you remember that funeral home from, like, two, three, four years ago where the guy had, like, they found, like, 150 bodies or something on the property that he'd never bothered to get rid of properly? No, I don't even remember that one. We were doing this show. Sarah probably doesn't even remember. It was, like, 2003, 2004. It was, like, a Georgia funeral home, and they found something. It seemed like it was just, like, 150 bodies that, like, over time, he just, well, it's like Lucy with the chocolate gonna, on the assembly exactly line. I was going to say. It's Lucy and Ethel. I just can't get rid of him. I don't know. Put him in the, uh, I don't know, put him uh, behind the sofa. And they just stacked up, and they were, like, digging bodies out of that ground for, like, a year. And now people don't even remember it. It's just difficult. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll do a little happy birthday uh, uh, greeting. Uh, I'll say it now. It's Benjamin the Bart. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Benjamin. Our good friend Benjamin. And I was going to play this into the break for David Walker, but we'll play it on the other side. This is a song David Walker will identify with. So we'll play it when we come back. So it is uh, the it is the, the birthday of uh, one of our favorite listeners, Benjamin the Bard. Should we play one of his things? And you know which one I'm going to play. And oh, David yeah. Walker will appreciate it. <gasps> oh, It's, it's the- like it was written for you. Oh, I'm excited. Uh, it, it could be your theme in many ways. Not about you, but a song that you would identify with. Okay. All okay. right, we'll play it when we... That song, when we come back. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for coming along. Welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from the South CNN Radio Correspondent Ed McCarthy. Hello, sir. Hey, Rick. How are you? I'm fantastic. So we're getting to you a little late there. My, uh, We went overtime with a... Uh... Well, that, you know, better late than never. Thank you. Yes, yeah, so we had a charming anecdote that I completely... Uh, that I just... I, I just ram. I just talk and talk and talk without end, Ed. Uh, and that's what you do for a living, and, and God bless you. You do it well. Thank you, sir. And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't really... Don't think it's the wrong way. I don't really uh, know what you're talking about beyond a single word, but there's two things. <laughs> there's two reasons I don't care, though. Why should today be any different? Wow. Okay. Fair no, enough. I'm kidding. No, no, no. The, so we're talking about uh, Roland Burris. And so, yeah, here's here's the reason, though, that that I plunge on just, just without hesitation. A, and this is not just puffery. It's because you make everything sound good because you are fantastic no matter what the subject. And also, here's what Sarah wrote. She just wrote two of five. Ed McCarthy, Blagojevich, and I was yeah. like, yes. Uh, so, Great. what's that about? So, you know, you just tell me because that guy and everybody around him, everybody who ever knew him, uh, it's just gold. So, uh, it is. But, you know, now it's Burris. You see, like, he's yeah. out behind the scenes now, totally, Blagojevich. And now all of a sudden they're gunning for uh, Senator Burris in Washington. Here's the latest revelation. The Chicago Sun Times came out with this today that uh, uh, Senator, uh, the son of uh, Senator Roland Burris, he got a job under. Former Governor Rod Blagojevich five months ago. So anyway, this is a classic. As I talked to Jim Durkin, who's one of the state representatives uh, in Illinois, he's the uh, he was a ranking Republican that you saw on that uh, impeachment committee right. uh, first to call uh, Senator Burris to testify. And you know, it was really funny when I watched it that day. I thought he's asking some pretty pointed questions. And he's kind of smirking. Like he knows think, something. I don't think he's getting the answers that he yeah, wants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I just had a feeling that day. But anyway, here's the deal now. This is a classic. This is Roland W. Burris II. <laughs> he was hired as a senior counsel for the state's housing authority. When? 
Six weeks after the IRS slapped a $34,000 tax lien on his home, and three weeks after a mortgage company filed a foreclosure suit on his south side house. Does no one in government pay their taxes anymore? Was there a rule that was passed, a memo that went out that I wasn't aware of, that you're in government, you can just stop paying taxes? I don't know. How's that Tea Party thing going to go tomorrow? (laughs) Seriously. Um, The, I just... It's all, I mean, I guess with Illinois, maybe the bar is set differently in that yeah. state because they seem to have a bit of a, an elastic attitude towards uh, corruption and, That's you a know. kind way of putting it, Rick. So, elastic. I remember what the, like, it's interesting, though, that, like, Blagojevich was the guy that all the fire was directed. He was just, you know, he was the, the focus of everybody's ire. And then he's, you know, and then he was like, okay, and the man for the job, Roland Burris, and who for, like, a day and a half seemed like a really, like, squeaky clean guy, and he yeah. was really going to be... You know, but that that lasted, you know, I mean, that lasted 36 hours, and then suddenly, who could have guessed? He's an Illinois politician. Oh, yep. I think he might be corrupt. And a now lot it's of people a- are really questioning it. Now, that's why I was asking about There's a series of protests all across the country tomorrow uh, called the uh, Tea Party protests. Yeah. People not happy with the stimulus, with, you know, the bailouts and all of it. So, you know, when you talk about Chicago, kind of, you know, this kind of stuff fosters these kind of big crowds that come out. So it could be interesting tomorrow. It seems like like we ought to do a sort of... Maybe with politics in this country, we ought to grade on a curve, maybe. You know? Like, depending on what city you're in. I mean, look, I mean... You know, look, if you're, you know, you're some guy in Delaware, maybe you're expected to be a real straight arrow. But, I mean, if you're uh, any, look, I mean, if you're a dog catcher, but you're in Cook County, uh, maybe we expect, you know, maybe we expect a little less of you, like, from the get-go. And then, if you can go, like, a year without getting charged with, like, you know, like a, like racketeering or something, then maybe we ratchet up our expectations ever yeah. so slightly. Uh, you and, can't be a straight arrow from Delaware because they're the ones that let in all the credit card companies. That's true. Hey, what, let me ask you this. Where is uh, where is Rod Blagojevich these days? I mean, what is he? Because yeah, he made the uh, round of the shows and then he yeah, vanished. Hanging out. He was doing a little radio show, and I haven't heard much about that uh, anymore. He was offered a radio show if he'd quit. He's kind of behind the scenes now, waiting for a grand jury indictment. I should totally offer him a radio show. Hey, Rod Blagojevich, I will hire you right now. So I, I don't even need an air check. I don't need a resume. I don't need anything. And this is the only time you'll ever hear somebody in radio say this. Don't send a resume. Just call me, please. He's a pretty good talker. You know, and it, the thing is, in a weird way, like here's the thing about, about that guy is that, like, I don't think I'd ever invite him over to my house, but he just seems like such a, he seems like such a, just an upfront kind of, I can't. I don't want to say a good guy, but you know what I mean. He does seem like a sort of. Well, I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, they put money in front of me. Of course, I'm going to take it, or you know, whatever. Yeah. Like he doesn't seem malicious about it. It's sort of like a goofy, aw shucks kind of corruption with that guy. There sort of go. like, what do you want me to do? I'm only human. There was a bag of cash. So well, I'll tell you what. He got up outside. He started reciting poetry. It was really, really. Did you funny. see him signing that woman's uh, breasts? Didn't see that one. I swear to God, I'm not making it up. It was on CNN. He leaves the courthouse or whatever, and there's a woman like, Rob Blagojevich, I'm your biggest fan. And she really? pulls down her shirt, and then he has a Sharpie on him, like he was anticipating this moment, or like he just finished some, writing some graffito on a wall wow. somewhere. And he's signing a woman's bosoms on television. I was wow. watching television thinking, like, what is, where am I? What country is this? Yeah, it's kind of like the Happy Gilmore movie. Exactly, or like that woman who was in the Italian Congress for a long time, who was also a porn star. Yes, I remember that. Yes, we all things do. we all remember, huh? Yes. All right, Ed McCarthy, enjoy your day, my friend. Okay, Rick. There you go, Ed McCarthy, ladies and gentlemen. Wow, I love this country. I really do. I love everything about it, even the things I hate about it. I love. 
<sighs> Hello, David Walker. Hello, how are you? Hey, I'm going to play you a little song here. Okay. Uh, so just before the break, we were giving a happy... This should be his theme, by the way. It really... This, this should be my theme. This, wow, that's a bold statement. Because, again, the song isn't about you, but it's like the song was for you. Mm. Uh, and you'll understand exactly what we mean. And you should also know this, just by way of a preamble. Here's something that we almost never do on the show, and that is to uh, play parody songs. I have a very, very, very very low tolerance for parody songs because they're almost always terrible yeah and it's like a thing that every bad dj does uh you know here's our wacky parody song uh, this was about rod blagojevich uh or whatever but occasionally one comes along and you go like that is genius it's inspired so this is our good friend benjamin the bard uh he turns is it 30 i don't know i don't know his age well he turns whatever today uh so Something ha- years young. So uh, happy, happy birthday to you. And we'll play a little. This is the song uh, that first brought him to our attention. This is the first thing we heard from him. I still consider it his definitive work. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the next sound you hear will be that of Benjamin the Bard. Happy birthday. We'll uh, play a bit of this for David Walker. And we won't break after, but we'll uh, take a moment to listen to this. Am I up over there? Mm-hmm. All right. Why is it, why is it not playing? Hold on. It's a conspiracy. It is. All right. Everything is a conspiracy. You played all the songs. She's a little unstable. She has her mood swings. She manipulates me like a puppet on strings. She's abusive and hostile and loving and sweet. It's a fatal attraction. She's my borderline baby. Acts like she's two when I won't buy her toys. She's a little delusional and paranoid. She's helpless and hopeless emotionally. She's a girl interrupted. She's my borderline baby. Oh. 
figured wow. that uh, we figured you'd identify that, that is so brilliant and you know what's even what's sort of a funny aside to that is I was a kid when Billy Joel's song originally came out and it scared me as a kid like when it would come on the radio it would freak me out really just because it, it sounded scary, weird yeah, it was a scary song it is kind of creepy but something. what really freaked me out was that the line and you know she'll and she'll carelessly cut you and laugh while you're bleeding mm-hmm. and I remember thinking as a kid do women really do that? <laughs> do, is that what's going to, you know, like, you know. <laughs> and hence that, your female issues begin. Yeah, exactly. And and I, I addressed that a long time ago. I realized, wow, that's part of what messed me up as a kid. And then to hear this song. Yeah. And I'm sort of moving past this. Like, that song was about probably the last five women I've dated. Yeah. But I'm, I'm getting... And getting past it. Well, we've talked about Sarah. As you get older, as you uh, get closer to thirty, Sarah, you'll understand. Stop it. I'm just saying you will. Uh, and I think David will back me up on this. And everybody, everybody goes through this, I think. But you will get to a point where you will start. And maybe you already. I don't know. I haven't. Maybe you already do this. But you will get to a point where you will meet somebody or talk to somebody. And I think we talked about this off the air one day about somebody who had been on the show. And I said uh, there was a. Um, See, this is like going to be that you know who you are thing where then because there's so because we don't have a like we're not a guest or rama everybody's going to think I know who it is and it's not Morgan uh, I'll just say that because everybody was going to think it's Morgan but we had a, a a female guest in and I said you know a couple years ago you know or I guess more than a couple but I mean whatever because I it, it, when I talked about kind of figuring out who you are and what you know what what you know figuring out how your own brain works and how your life works and I guess everybody does that at some point but. There was a time in my life though I was saying about this this woman who'd been in the show. I said, well, there was a time when you know that would have been just my type, you know. But wow, she she crazy, you know. Yeah. She crazy long time. <laughs> and so Sarah, Sarah, you will totally get to a place where um, you will get to a place where you will meet a guy or you run into a guy, and you will you know it's, you'll kind of be attracted to him, but at the same time that's just part of your brain that you now have under control, and you'll say, Oh no, I'm still in the out of control part. But that's what I'm yeah. saying. But yeah. you'll, you'll get but there. You'll get to a point where you can go. A few years ago, that's exactly the kind of guy I would have gone for. Maybe. Now, maybe you will, maybe you won't. But I think, like David, I think is at that point. But you don't, you don't, you want to, you want to you wanna work towards getting there sooner rather than later, or otherwise you will be so hopelessly damaged by the time you get there that you, you'll, you'll, you'll be like me. Yeah. You, you'll I have be, an array. I do have a specific type, but I mean, I have, like, danced around that type. Like, the last few have been different. I'm, I'm, I suppose. I'm I mean, to the point now where it, literally it, it will take me, like, 
no more than 15 minutes where I'll go, oh, no. Yeah. This is, this is. <laughs> it's like speed dating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's literally, it's like you're, you know, you can see their aura. But instead of an aura, it's a bunch of red flags going off, and 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 and, and they're talking, and it's 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 like they're talking parcel tongue or something. Totally, like, actually, but you know what they're really saying? Give me your credit card. Yeah. So uh, I've gotten better, but uh, then in a lot of ways I've gotten worse. My my whole thing, speaking of the borderline baby, my whole thing at a certain point uh, in my life was. Now, see, I don't want to say because it makes me say, because then it makes me just sound like a hopelessly broken person. But um, I, I'm hopelessly broken, so I, I would say this: like at a certain point in my life, uh, my whole thing was like, uh, well, see, now I have the awkward pause. Now I have to say it. We've learned that if you have the awkward pause, if you're hesitating, then you just need to get get out whatever it is. My whole thing is that I, and like Sarah, it's not that I just had like one specific type. I mean, there was. You know, you know, an array. Yeah. But there was, but one of those types, one of those uh, female types was uh, the girl who was like, uh, the girl who was like, uh, uh, you know, just, just like damaged and broken enough to be really kind of interesting and 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 vulnerable and sort of like endearing because she's kind of like, you know, because she's, you know, you're thinking she's she's bad, but she's not really that bad. Well, and like you know, and it's like a little bit of like she needs to be rescued and protected a little bit, but at the same time she's crazy. You know, and so my whole thing is, like, I would find girls who were, you know, were sort of like, like, like damaged and needy a little bit, and it's like, and I would stay with them, but see, it always ended the same way. I would find a girl who was, who was, uh, like, needing to be, to be protected and sheltered to some degree, and I would then, like, raise their self-esteem to the point where they would then get sick of me and kick me out. <laughs> so it's like, I would, it's like I would, I would renovate them to the point that they then decided they, they, they didn't want to be with me, and I would trans, it's like, it was like, a, it's like a girl does, sort of in reverse, right? Yeah. Girls will find a guy who's like edgy and exciting and dangerous, and like they'll transform him into just some, uh, just some, uh, some sissy boy that they don't want anymore. And so I would find these girls that were totally dysfunctional, and then I would, uh, you know, and then I would, uh, you know, because you know, I, I can be a little controlling. Uh, and so then I would uh, just then uh, like rehabilitate from the point that they were then uh, no longer interested in me at all and go, ooh, no, you're kind of an ass. Why don't you get out, you type A bastard? So there you go. Yeah, no, my my problem most recently is dating complete losers who, um, <laughs> okay. and I do mean that when I say complete loser, I mean complete losers. And and what happens is is that they're they're fooling themselves and fooling me, but then somehow I get to the point where they can no longer delude themselves anymore. Right. And then it's like they're looking into the mirror. When they look into my eyes, they see that they're really a loser. <laughs> and then the whole charade becomes too much for them to, to, to keep going. And then they just dump me because it's like they realize their own, you know. You're own. like the oracle or the mirror that no longer says they're the prettiest one of all or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the mirror that's like, and you're nuts. Yeah. And you're kind of chunky. And uh, that haircut didn't do any favors. Oh, and your job sucks. Oh, and you don't have any friends. But I'm not saying it. They're just sort of seeing it themselves, and so yeah. So I've just I'm I'm like pretty much done. I think at this point, I really am. It's just and, just back to kidnapping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I'm just I'm I'm back to the point where I'm just you know like nostalgically reminiscing about the ones from years past, thinking you know when you're in your 20s and 30s and you think okay it'll get better at some point, and then you get into your mid right. late 30s and maybe even your 40s and you go wait a minute it didn't get better. Wow, that really bad one when I was 26. I should have stuck it out with her. Yeah. And here's the other thing. I also and I also did this for a while. Uh, shades of 
Well, I was going to say shades of women, but I guess it's a guy. But I was going to say it's like it's like girls who are dating like the edgy drummer from the band or whatever. But I guess I guess I'm just looking at it from my own perspective when I say that it's a girl thing. I guess it's a guy thing because every you know every girl is dating a guy. You know that takes two to tangle and all that. So I but I went through this phase where uh, I my whole thing was I had this kind of romantic notion. I'll back up one step further. Sometimes I think when you are in, especially maybe your early to mid twenties. You are viewing your whole life as a sort of movie. So it's like playing Left 4 Dead, where you're playing the game, but the game is structured like a zombie film. So it's like you're playing a character, but you're playing a character inside a zombie movie. And so it's like this weird, like, three steps removed God view of everything. And I think sometimes when you, if you have especially any kind of a creative or artistic bent anyway, you do that thing of, like, when you are living your life, you are also, you're living your life, but at the same time you have this split screen where it's like a picture in picture where you're also seeing your life as though it were a movie and you can get really into like the being like in the weird crazy artistic relationship you know what i mean does that make sense like there's that thing going this story is going to be so good totally when i it's like friday night and you're thinking monday when i'm at work I'm going to tell everybody at work what I did with this person, and they're going to go, no way! And it's like yeah. you also, I think in your early 20s, you have a sense of your own drama. Yeah. And so, like, Chuck Klosterman, uh, who, he, he, told this one, he told this one story that, that really resonated with me, not because I was this guy, but because I totally know what he's talking about. Klosterman told this great anecdote about how he used to be just a, a raging drunk all the time. And I don't know if he ever said he was an alcoholic, but he said he drank constantly. And he said his whole thing was he was at a party, you know, he'd be at a party, and he was the guy that you could put, he was that guy you'd put anything in front of him and he'd drink it, doesn't matter what it was. You know, you put a steaming blue liquid in a shot glass, and he'd be like, screw it, and he'd just put it down. And that was his whole thing, is he was the guy who'd drink whatever you put in front of him, no matter what it was. And he said that he realized the reason he did that is because he was trying to, like, because he viewed himself as that guy in the movie. He said he wanted people to go like, what's up with that guy? I wonder what's going on. I wonder, I wonder, you know, if he's a tortured soul and that's why it is. Like he had this whole thing about creating his own image. And he, it, it wasn't because he was trying to look like a badass as such. It's because he wanted everybody to see like how kind of crazy and out of control he was because then it makes them more interested because they want to know like, what's his secret pain? I should try to heal him. You know, so it was like this whole weird layer of like melodrama that you only can really pull, pull off when you're like in your, in your 20s or in a band. Um, but so my thing is, I fell into this kind of, it's like a Days and Wine and Roses thing, but it was like with crazy and not, not booze, <laughs> where I went through a phase where I would date a, ser- like I, I dated a, uh, when I say a string, it makes me sound like I'm, like I'm uh, Kate Hudson and almost famous, but, but I dated a series of, um, of artistic girls, yeah. uh, girls who were like, uh, singers or songwriters or whatever, and they were all crazy. And they were all, you know, uh, they were all a little unstable and nutty and, you know, ah, I'm going to burn all your stuff, you know, eventually. <laughs> but that's because, and at the time, it's like you knew that was going to happen. I knew it was a logical outcome. I'm like, this is going to end. It's like the voice in your head. It's not a still small voice. It's a loud voice yeah, going, yeah. this is going to end badly. You know, abort, abort, pull up. Yeah, yeah, seriously. And. But I had this whole, where I would date this, I dated this, like, series of kind of, uh, and I was sort of a sucker for, I was a sucker for a girl with a guitar who could sing a, sing a pretty and painful song. That was my thing. <laughs> and I know girls are into, like, the guy who can, like, rip out, like, the shredding solo or who can, like, play the big backbeat or whatever. And I was totally into the crazy wounded girl with a guitar singing the heartbreaking, beautiful song. 
because a, I think that's just kind of a turn on anyway. That's like you know, like a like an average looking girl who opens her mouth and she sings, you know, or plays a beautiful song. She becomes a lot hotter. And also, because I loved the idea of being the other half in one of those crazy artistic couples, where it's like, oh, they're both so talented, but they're both so unstable. But they're both so crazy, but they're both so compelling. And I was so into the idea of being half of one of those couples that people look at and they go boy you know they're both really artistic and like he's on the radio and she sings but it's like i think they've got real problems but it's like so tempestuous and i know that they're bad for each other but they're so right for each other and they're like a fire that be- and it's like that's you- what i've done I'm like that's i think that's the phase that i'm just slowly getting out of too is like the uh, power couple phase i've i've been and 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 you know what's weird is when I was in one of those not that long ago and didn't realize I was. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that was how the other person viewed me. And, and she was very much like, you know, oh, I'm David Walker's girlfriend. Right. You know, right. and it's like, oh, my God. And, and, you know, and, I, and, I, and, that's, and Sarah just said the, the power couple for yeah. me. Because the last person I dated, you know, the comedian, I was like, well, this is great because, you know, we know a lot of the same people. And, like, he, you know, does this thing. And, like, he's known for some stuff. And then I do the radio thing. I'm like, look at how magical it is. But, in totally. fact, it's not. It's like it's all no. it's an illusion that you try yeah. to pander to, and it just doesn't work. And it was, I mean, and so there's part of that. And then, again, also just the, that I just, I had this weird mix of like, I guess, you know, just the romance of it, the romance of the dysfunction. <laughs> and I, I just loved the idea, you know, when I was younger of being, of being half of the like really compelling tortured couple. And so, and you know, which just, but now, but see, so I will occasionally, I'll, I'll meet girls like that now. And that is the girl type that I can look at now and I can say, you know what, uh, when I was, you know, X years of age, you know, whatever, when I was at 22, uh, you know, you, you and I, you know, would have been a thing or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, but now I can, but, but I have enough distance now too, that I, you know, that, that I realize that, you know, with absolute clarity that like that would be a mistake that, you know, that's, that's the, like, that's the wrong, that that is not how you want to view your life. You know, it is, it would be a mistake to go back to viewing yourself in that weird third person perspective because it just leads to all kinds of bad. Yeah. That's totally when you meet those guys who are of a certain age and they are still living like they are the lead character in a Chuck Palahniuk book. And those seem to be the, the men that I date. So I'm in, well, I am in that phase of your life yeah. that you are now out but of. But there's also an overwhelming number of them here in Portland. Mm, yeah, totally. That, I think that's a big problem, no, too. No, it's like and every guy in Portland who thinks he's, like, thinks he's find Tyler I- Durden. Yeah, yeah. like, everyone wants think- an identity. Like, they, they try to find some label to give him that identity. Right, and, and, and you yeah, know, and yes. every guy who thinks he's Tyler Durden in Portland, and it works the other way, too, is looking for some girl who thinks she's Marla Singer. Yeah. You know, and that Marla Singer just is not someone you... You don't even want her having your phone number, no, let me tell you. But she you, had mine for many years on speed dial. But and, you can get sucked into that where you again, where you, like, are looking at yourselves as a couple through the eyes of the people around you, and you realize, like, oh, we must look really fascinating and edgy and dark and unstable and Sid and Nancy and, you know, whatever, <laughs> which is great. And then after a while, though, it just takes such a disproportionate toll and on you. Your, on you don't really like the person. I, and then you realize, like, hey, you're a dick. Yeah. You know? I, I actually had a conversation with someone who's somewhat well-known in the city, and um, and I'll tell you guys after the break. There's no way I'm going to say it on air. And we kind of got into this conversation about why we should be a couple because for these exact reasons. And we're like, it'll be so cool because people will talk about it and we'll be, you know. And, like, for, like, five minutes it seemed really cool. And then as, as I was looking at her and I just saw the crazy in her eyes. You could see I, it all play out in your head. Yeah, and I thought, oh, my God, I, no, this is not going to work out. <laughs> we'll go I mean, and at yeah. a certain point, like, the the bright, shiny object that attracts you to that person, you realize it really is like a flashing danger sign. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and that's that's <laughs> that's... Final thought, and then we'll break. We'll come back. Hey, what better way? When we come back, we'll do the top five songs blamed for teenage suicide.
What better way way to roll through this? My final thought is this, and again, more of a David and I thing than, and maybe, you know, than a Sarah thing, at least at this point. Um, Do you ever do this? Now that you're, now that, now that you're all grown and whatnot, do you ever, you ever meet somebody or you run into somebody, you talk to somebody, and you realize that they, A, are that person that is unstable and a little crazy enough that like you would have been really you know into them at a younger you know at an earlier point in your life but they are with someone who is sort of grounded and balanced you know because i mean look i mean i'm not i don't mean to be a circumspect but i think it's like everybody knows that like i mean it's not like i'm a it's not like i'm like the poster child for normalcy now i mean i certainly got my issues i mean as everybody listens you know, I get, clearly it's not like I'm Johnny run-of-the-mill in some ways. It's not like I'm better or more interesting. It's just I'm not – I have my share of uh, neuroses and whatever. You know, my wife, God bless her, is just, you know, is just, like, so stable and grounded. But And I don't mean that in any sort of, like – and, you know, some people think that means uninteresting or whatever. And it's not that. It's just that she's not nuts. You know, <laughs> she's just not crazy. Rob from the House of Rick, actually, the first time he ever met my wife, he pulled me aside and he actually goes – he goes, Laura is so cool. And I go, yeah. And he goes, he goes, no, no, no. And he's like, I figured you'd be dating some like crazy girl. He's like, I figured she'd be nuts because like that would be a whole thing. And um, but occasionally, you know, now that I, you know, that I'm, you know, in that dynamic, occasionally I'll meet a woman who's then with like the stable, grounded husband. Yeah. And it's that weird thing of like, and I, you know, it, it, you know, it, it, that that recognition that like this was a, a decision that both of us had to make at some point to uh, to not be around other crazy people. So it's uh, everybody kind of seems to end up at that same uh, that same end of the road, which is good. Because <laughs> otherwise, because otherwise I'd, you know, uh, I'd just be in a bar uh, covered with tattoos at age fifty. Uh, you know, still trying to pose like I was a badass. Oh, that's Nobody wants that. Oh, my God. All right, I'll come back with the top five, more of your phone calls, and more. Oh, we got to do the Watchmen tickets, too. Oh, that's right. All right, we'll take color five right now for your shot at Watchmen Passes, kids. Uh, trivia from the golden age of comics. Caller five right now at 503-733-2970. Stay there. Rick Emerson Radio Program. This email says, hey, I'm crazy as well. Uh, entertaining show, I love David Walker. I like how she says, I'm crazy as well, followed by I love David Walker. <laughs> of uh, course she does. Oh, and then, <laughs> how crazy are you, though? Oh, and then she says, yes, I'm the crazy in my relationship. My husband is easygoing. I realize two crazies together would never make it. It's the reason I think opposites tracked. I even received 105 on your ADD test. Yes, I am crazy. So there you go. All right, that's fantastic. All right, it's 503-733-2970. Let's see here. Let's do, uh, oh, wait, I forgot to get my, uh, I forgot to get the, I forgot to get my bed ready for this. Hold on one second here. Let me find my, and there we go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we got the Watchmen screening up, uh, screening coming up Monday. Monday, Monday, Monday is when the uh, Watchmen screening is going to be taking place. Now, don't forget tomorrow. Tomorrow, we're going to be giving away passes to Watchmen via the station website, which is 970.am. 
Don't go there and look for this right now. But at some point during tomorrow's show, the Watchman uh, logo, which is the smiley face with the blood spatter, that will appear somewhere on the station website at some point during tomorrow's show. We'll tell you when, but it's going to be some point tomorrow. First 25 people who click on, a, uh, click on it tomorrow, you will score a pair of passes to the Watchman screening. So it's not up there yet. It'll appear somewhere on the station site tomorrow. Right now, though, it is time for another edition of Trivia from the Golden Age of Comics. Hello. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Who might this be? Michael. Hello, Michael. How are you today? Not too bad. How are you? I am fantastic. All right, I'm going to throw you out a uh, trivia question for the Golden Age of Comics. This comes to us from David Walker. If you answer this correctly, you'll go to see The Watchmen Monday night at the Critics' Screening. Are you ready, sir? Ready. All right. This pulp character, whose alter ego shares a first name with Clark Kent, was a major inspiration for the character of Superman. One more time. This pulp character, whose alter ego shares a first name with Clark Kent, was a major inspiration for the character of Superman. Okay, just take my nerd card back. <laughs> You're so sad. So, you sound so heartbroken about it. Well, I'll tell you what, we won't take it back, but you shouldn't put it in your wallet. You should keep it like in a shoebox at home for maybe a day or so. Okay, I'll do All that. Right. Thank you, sir. All right, we're trying again. You. All right. Hello, hi, Rick Emerson Show. Who's this? Uh, Mark. All right, Mark. Same question for you. This pulp character, whose alter ego shares a first name with Clark Kent, was a major inspiration for the character of Superman. Oh, oh, Clark Gable. David Walker? No, that's wrong. No, there's no... no that was a good guess, though. Really, there's no limit to the ways in which that's wrong. But, uh, no, no, but uh, good attempt, sir. Thank you. Oh. That, <laughs> just say, he didn't even say, like, damn, it was sort of a... Uh, sort of a thing. All right. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Who's this? This is Lorne. All right, sir. Lorne. Mm. This pulp character whose alter ego... Shares I don't a... know. There's no, there's no real point in really continuing the question. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I thought... Oh, wow. wow. I love Lorne. <laughs> Fantastic. Well done, sir. I was going to say Clark Gable, I guess, but whatever. I'm like, you realize oh, Clark Gable is a real person, right? Not a pulp character. Uh, that's, why, that's why I stopped. I, well, I'm looking at myself and thought I'm an idiot because uh, he's not a pulp Aaron character. is no, screaming at the radio. <laughs> People punching their radio as hard as they can. No, I. It, it, no, all right. Thank you. All right, there you go. Okay. Well, that's fantastic. Would you like to give the answer, David Walker? I. So we've given up. Is that uh, well, we can try one more here. Hold on. Let's see. Uh, hello, Rick Emerson. Show who might this be? Hey, Rick. It's Rick. Hello, Rick. How are you today? Hold on a second. Why isn't my Jeopardy theme playing? No, no. All right. There we go. All right. Uh, are you ready to play our game, sir? I'm ready. All right. This pulp character, whose alter ego shares a first name with Clark Kent, was a major inspiration for the character of Superman. No idea. Sorry, Rick. <laughs> All right, great. Glad we took one more call. Thanks so much, sir. Appreciate that. Well done. So all right, so what... all we have is Letterman for this next break. So do you want to do the top five? Yeah, well, let's move. Uh, I will. Uh, we'll take care of that. Okay. Why don't we move that? I'll move that to elsewhere. David Walker? The answer? Yes. Doc Savage, Man of Bronze. Oh, fantastic. His real name, five, Clark Savage Jr. Four, three, two, Doc Savage? One. Fire. Doc Savage, by the way, is also one of the inspirations for the Crimson Mist. Ooh. Yeah. So, yeah, Jason Crump and Aaron Durant are screaming. You have no idea. When that guy didn't know um, Seduction of the Innocent the other day, you have no... I got a shrieky text message oh, from Aaron. Oh, man. It was a lot of... Come on! Lots of profanity. I was doing that in my car. Yeah. <laughs> All right. David Walker, do you want to count down our top five for today? 
Sure, okay. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Read the intro. Read the intro, and then there's an honorable mention. This is David Walker presenting today's Top 5. And throughout history, there have been scapegoats, receivers of blame for all manner of societal ills, troubles, and scourges. From comic books to Call of Duty, the media has often been a whipping boy for those seeking to point the finger. Nowhere is this more prevalent than the case of teenage suicide. Don't do it. <laughs> and if you do... Well done. Yes. <laughs> and if you do, try not to leave a note indicating <coughs> your favorite rock star. Excuse me, your favorite rock star. These are the top five songs typically blamed for teenage suicide. Uh, so I canvassed, uh, and, and, and most of these come from the world of hard rock or metal because that seems to be... Oh, that's where know, the devil lives. That's exactly, Sarah. He calls that home. So uh, I canvassed the hard rock and metal fans uh, in the building here at CBS Radio, and we have compiled this. These are the top five songs typically blamed for teenage suicide. We'll start with the uh, honorable mention, David Walker. Honorable mention, Judas Priest. Better by you, better than me. No, you know, I made a total mistake. That's actually number five. That's not the wrong uh, That's my fault. I wrote that in incorrectly. Here's okay. a little hint. That's number five. Uh, <laughs> all right. This is, uh, here, the honorable mention is actually number five, which okay. is My Chemical Romance. Welcome yes. to the Black Parade. I love this song so much. Now, here's why this is honorable mention. And save me. These are not rock. Email. Just keep it. Just, you know, say it to the guy in the next cubicle. Don't care. <laughs> Um, yeah. um, here's the reason this is honorable mention. Because it's a recent entry in the annals of teenage suicide uh, songs. And it's only in England. So what's interesting is when you look at other countries sometimes, and other countries are going through something that we went through 10 or 12 or 15 years ago, and I know it works the same way here. You know, we're like bands or fashion will start on like Carnaby Street, and then they come to Manhattan three or four years later. We went through the whole uh, Satan craze, you know, in the 80s. Then it went to the rest of the world. We went through the uh, everybody is a child molester uh, scare of the late 80s. Then it went to Britain in, like, the mid-90s. We went through the teenage suicide because of rock songs thing in the 80s. Now Britain is going through it, except it's all, and how sad is this? All they have to blame is emo. So in, so in Britain, they're now blaming... My Chemical Romance wasn't always emo, though. I, I'm just... But this song is. Oh, I'm saying to the, make the, you want to kill yourself. But yeah. the perception in, in Britain, and if you read like NME or something, you know, like a Mojo or the British music magazines, it's a lot of like, and so-called emo bands have driven youngsters to end their lives. And they always have a picture of My Chemical Romance right there. So, I mean, that's the... When they say there's no such thing as bad publicity, eh, so... There you go. So it's, well, it remains to be seen whether that's going to be a long-term thing. But for now, My Chemical Romance, getting a lot of the blame for teenage suicide in Britain. All right. Let's do number five, which is actually that honorable mention. All right. So number five, Judas Priest, Better By You, Better Than Me. And this is specifically because of that case in Phoenix. In, what, 1982, 83, maybe? There was the uh, kids who uh, tried to kill themselves with a shotgun. One of them uh, you know, was able to do it. The other one, just a lot of maiming going on there. Yeah. And it was because this song purportedly contained the backward message, get the gun and do it. Yeah. And wasn't, wasn't this song actually on the turntable at the time, if I remember correctly? No, they were listening to it, though, before they went. Well, okay. maybe, because they were listening to it before they went to the local playground. Yeah. The weird thing about it is, A, it's a cover. Yeah. It's not even a Judas Priest song. And also, what does get the gun and do it? They could be talking about playing Duck Hunt. I mean, it doesn't yeah. even mean anything. They're the creepiest documentary you will ever see in your life, by the way, is Dream Deceivers, where there's long, uh, a long series of interviews with the guy, I think his name was Jeff Vance, one of the guys who tried to kill himself and didn't, and his face, he looks like a Muppet. Muppet. He, looks like, he looks like something from Creature Shop that hasn't quite been finished yet. It's all kinds of bad. All right. Good God. All right. Uh, these are the top five songs typically blamed for teenage, su uh, teenage suicide. David Walker. Number four, ACDC. 
shoot to thrill. Really? Yeah, because again, because it says shoot, and like you know, some you know some uh, kid who's always you know high as a paper kite, you know it all goes bad, and then what they always do is they're always rooting through the kid's record collection. And then some guy, usually from the local church, comes even now, comes in and he'll go, well, here's your problem right here. And it's like that scene in, uh, in Heather's where they hold up the mineral water. Yeah. <laughs> they were homos. And it's like, it's like he'll hold up the ACDC record with like the investigative tweezers like David Caruso. <laughs> it looks like it was really shoot to kill. You know, or what? And he takes off his sunglasses. This song just makes me want to party with chicks with really big hair. And boobs. And boobs. And boobs, yeah. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't think of shooting myself. I think, oh, I love this part. That's me. I, uh, my hand is a little twitchy over here. All right, I yeah, it keeps going. This is from the greatest hard rock album of all time, by the way, Back in Black. That's right. Yes? Yes. I love this song. I was waiting for us to get to the chorus before we moved on right there. But Sarah's giving us that look like it's time to move on. Well, we're, we're over time. Hard as that may be to believe. <laughs> Shocker. All right. Uh, we're doing the top five songs typically blamed for se- uh, teenage suicide. All right. Number three is Slayer, Mandatory Suicide. <laughs> I think the song is actually about... I may be wrong about this. It's one of those sort of... Who really knows? And it's just strange enough to be true. I think the song is actually about the war in the Middle East. Okay. So, you know, there you go. I think it's actually about suicide bombers. I know this makes me less of a, a dude and less of a metal fan, but... Boy, I really don't like listening to Slayer. Slayer doesn't do it for me. They're just too much. It's just too metal for me. It's too much metal for me to say. <laughs> Here's a true story. Real quickly, and then we'll move on. The, the album Rain in Blood, which is considered by many people to be the greatest metal album of, of all time, I purchased it three times when I was growing up. Every time I would buy it, take it home and listen to it, and it was just too hard. And I'd take it back to the store. <laughs> and I still don't own it, because I gave up it three times. I was like, it's just too much metal. I can't take it. Just too much metal. <laughs> all right. These are the top five songs typically blamed for teenage suicide. Number two, Metallica. Fade to Black. Fun fact about this song. When I was in high school, I had a 90-minute cassette tape that was just this song over and over and over and over and over and over again. And I would put it in. I'd sit there in the room, staring into the middle distance with the curtains closed. I'm so depressed. At least you made it through. Yes, I I, Yeah. I don't know if I could have handled this one for 90 minutes. Beautiful song. You kids, Metallica didn't used to suck. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's hard to believe, but they used to be cool, and they, they made great. They made great music, and they weren't lame, and they didn't take advice from guys in cable knit Bill Cosby sweaters. <laughs> All right, well there you go. Uh, these are the top five songs typically blamed for teenage suicide. What's number one, David Walker? The number one song, Ozzy Osbourne, Suicide Solution. Is it number one with a bullet? It's number one with a bullet. Thank you. Or a noose, or your head in the oven. <laughs> wow. Speaking of ACDC, this song is actually about Bon Scott. Because Bon Scott choked on vomit because of the drinking. This song is actually about Bon Scott slowly killing himself with alcohol. It is, in fact, an anti-suicide song. And it's righteous. 
David Walker, what's up at uh, David uh, Walker, the DavidWalkerSite.com or BadassMofo.com? Oh, just a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I've been kind of lazy. I've got some film reviews up, and I've got a couple of exciting things that will be up maybe by the end of the day today. A, a surprise for everybody that will bring me great embarrassment, but everyone else will get enjoyment out of it. So Excellent. definitely check it out. Either either one takes you to the same site. Badass with disease, BadassMofo.com or the DavidWalkerSite.com. All right. Thank you for joining us, sir. Always a pleasure. Oh, it's always a pleasure. I I, I love you guys. Uh-huh. I really do. Oh, thanks, David. Excellent. I'm hugging you here. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not actually going to touch you. All right. From the bottom, babe. Yeah. From the bottom. All right. Uh, we want to thank senior radio correspondents Lisa Desjardins, um, Steve Castamon, and Ed McCarthy, as well as David Walker. Uh, join us tomorrow when our guest will include, I think it's Aaron Duran tomorrow, maybe? Yes? Scott Dowling? We were there last week. Somebody. Yeah, somebody will be here yeah. tomorrow. Uh, Rick Emerson, show produced today, and every day with the lovely and talented Sarah Stillen for Amen and Sarah, the talker in the newsroom, David Walker on the phones, Richard Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave's in, webmistress, Bridget from upstairs. Uh, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru Susan, don't f with me, Reynolds. Uh, like us next, Michael Mara show at seven, Phil Henry at eleven. See you tomorrow at ten for the recap, eleven for the show. As always, watch out for snakes. Thank you for listening. Be safe. Bye now. Shiny, a slang term for great use in the television series Firefly and the movie Serenity.